Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. With access to some of the greatest minds in academia, Director of Student Athlete Innovation and Performance Tom Newman has been successful in creating a winning culture at Yale. Tom brings his knowledge of training and sports science to the table, but he's learned that the key is to, quote, stay humble and stay hungry. With this mindset, he's exposed himself and subsequently his athletes to a world of research and human behavioral studies that he feels is the future of athletic performance. There's no doubt that the incorporation of concepts like emotional intelligence into his program have given his college athletes an edge and an awareness that is generally overlooked by traditional athletics programs. This, Tom says, is just the beginning. Here it is, episode 344. Power Athlete Nation. What's happening? Hey, Luke. This is your co-host, Luke Summers. And that was Tex McQuilkin. McQuilkin. And we're here to bring you another episode of the Premier Podcast in strength and conditioning. Ing. That was Bobblehead John contributing his ing for the show. That's oh, right, ladies and gentlemen. We're back to three. We're back to three when Bobblehead John is here because Big Head John <laughs> isn't here. <laughs> Big head, big mouth, big spoon, little dish. You know what I'm saying? That's right, people. Jay Welly, John Wellborn, founder, CEO, power athlete, is out of the office today. But the show must go on. So Tex and I are here in the trenches taking hand grenades, fighting through to get to this moment where we get to sit and chat with our very special guest today. Mm-hmm. Very enlightening chat. You know, I, I had a great time. Um, We'll get to who that is. Well, you probably already know because it says in the title of the file that you clicked. Oh. But we're not going to tell them yet. That's right. Because, uh, you know, what's pretty interesting, Tex, is I was thinking as we were talking through this, John references, and I think we've all kind of, you know, when you're when you're the strongest dude in the weight room, it's, it's just really hard to push the needle up. But when you're not and you come into a weight room that, like, everybody there is strong. It's like strength through osmosis. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but think, and this is not a knock on Tom, but if you're at Yale with, like, the smartest people in the world around you, how many students go to Yale? Do you have any idea? I have no idea. But, but 29 sports, so. And it's, but not a terribly huge campus. And, like, Tom does intentional outreaches to, like, different disciplines. You're going to get really smart just by talking to really smart people. Right? Like, look at you and me. You get really smart. You've gotten really smart over this Years. And you think that, no, I think you're wrong. I haven't gotten smart. You've gotten stupid. <laughs> uh, but great talk. But before we talk to Tom and talk about talking to Tom, we want to talk to you, ladies and gentlemen. 12,000. It's a new year. Are you the person who jumped on a program, tried to jump on their nutrition, tried to rip the Band-Aid off, and they're following some gimmick and some fad, and now you're just like, hmm, I might have made a mistake, right? It's kind of like you, you planned on marrying your first girlfriend. Who would ever do that? Idiots. That's don't, right. Don't look at me. It's time to question your fidelities to your strength training program if you're not following a power athlete training program. Ladies and gentlemen, we have seven daily training programs to fit every possible viable lifestyle out there of someone who has the willpower 
the desire to go out there and train every single day. Seven of them. Did you know that, Tex? I did know that. How Reverse did engineered from That's goals. Right. Well, it started with one. I mean, there was the one, right? The original CrossFit football. Mm-hmm. And that just continued to morph Field Strong, Jack Street, Grindstone, Bedrock. Well, I think Bedrock's kind of, that's an asterisk on that, right? Mm-hmm. But then get into Johnny Watt, Lean and Able, Iron Flex, Hammer, Armor. All of these, these are programs tailored specifically for populations. And you're probably like, I wonder if they have one for me, listener. Is that what you're thinking, listener? Tell me. Tell me. If it is, did you know that we offer a two-week free trial? That's right. You hop on this program. You can try it out for two weeks. And if in 14 days you are not happy, all you got to do is click a button and get your refund. It's that simple. And we've just recently launched our Find a Program little widget on our website. So if you're curious, hey, does Power Athlete have a program for me? What are Tech's John and Luke? What would they recommend for me based off of a handful of questions? Well, guess what? We literally, literally text. Literally. literally. And by we, pal, you weren't involved in this because I didn't have the time. You know what I mean? I can't be moseying with you on things like this. We have gotten over 6,000 inquiries for requests on what program to follow. Wow. Right? So I went through all 6,000, and I found the common questions asked. Oh, you looked at the data? And aggregated our responses. And that is how this AI, if you dare, shall I dare call it AI, works. That's right. You know what it is? It's just... A bad movie, but go on. It's going back and looking at the repeater, right? Oh. So, looked at the repeater. And that's how this works. And I'll tell you right now, we have a 100% win rate. We're going to get the right program for you. And you know what? If we don't, then you can send an email to Callie, C-A-L-I, at powerathletehq.com, and tell her you're not happy. And then she will delete that email. (laughs) (laughs) And we will never see it. So, but you'll feel good about it, like somebody read it. Yeah, using your words, expressing your Mm -hmm. emotions as we'll discussed today. That's right. So, ladies and gentlemen, if you're interested, if you just want to see what's up, head to powerathletehq.com slash training to see what that's all about. And, I mean, seriously, what else are you going to do? What else are you going to follow? Are you going to follow Insta, some Insta fame? No, you're not going to do that. That's out. Instagram's out. Instagram, out. Actually, it's back in. It's back in. That was a, uh, a short little uh, time out for Instagram. But let's talk about our show today, Tex. Okay. So we have Coach <laughs> Coach Tom Newman of Yale University, and he's, he's got a great journey, very cool, been through different experiences that led him to this mm-hmm. moment, and he is taking full advantage of the time, the resources, the coaches, the pool of athletes that he has to continue to push the field in the right direction. So we cover a lot of bases today, man. I, I had a great time. I, two sheets, two sheets worth of notes. I use yellow because mm-hmm. it's easier on the eyes. Oh, is that why you do it that way? Name that movie. Oh. Uh, but yeah, uh, learned a lot. I thought it was a, a great experience. Yeah, man. Storybook example of, in my opinion, a dude who is fully immersed in his gig. Just fully immersed. Yale's got him sucked in. Just sucked in, or he sucked Yale in. I don't know who sucked who, but someone got sucked into their gig. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, pretty passionate dude, pretty switched on dude. And going back to what I said earlier, 
Pretty smart dude. And he's going to send us links and resources, things mm-hmm. that he spoke on. So go to powerathletehq.com. Slash radio. Slash radio. To check for this episode, in the show notes, we're going to have resources provided by Coach. I'm tracking, McQuilkin, that this is 344. That's what the spreadsheet says. Yeah. So look up Power Athlete Radio, episode 344, people. Well, enough about us, or should we tell more about us? I mean, there is a lot going on. What did we talk about last week? Christian Borthwick? Yeah, that was a mm-hmm. sometime. Wow. The crew? What was our crew episode? John opened his mouth, and then we... All took a nap? <laughs> no, no we, we talked about movies. Um, what You've established and created new training goals for the new year based off your assessment with Aunt Lo. Mm-hmm. Would you mind sharing those with our audience? Sure, yeah. Four or five day, rest days a week. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're scoring four on all of those because you're coaching me up pretty good. <laughs> Uh, me personally, man, it's been last year was tricky. I forget what, how it all started, man. It was a whole year of just what I'll call hip noise. And I just was a step slower on the spike ball court on the pickleball court and things would jam me up and it would be debilitating at times. And then gone another time, like, like 10 minutes, it would just be gone and I'd be fine. And it was frustrating. So I talked to my personal witch doctor, Aunt Lo, Aunt Lo, the physio detective, uh, him and I just... Man, we just, we're on the same page. So mm-hmm. the conversations that we have work, he's always kind of helped me out when I get, in jam, get jammed up and just kind of, I'm twisting, but not the right, not enough of the right type of twisting for whatever's jammed up and end up being like, an, he thinks like some sort of nerve aggravation or something in some sort of something or rather on the first, second rib, blah, 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 whatever, and tell me what to do. So keeping the spine unloaded relatively, like I guess barbell back squatting pulling back on that for a little bit and belt squatting so like it's awesome that we have that shit at the gym uh-huh. but um so belt squatting super heavy and then a lot of unilateral rotational kind of round back slop is all like like how people would probably interpret it right i, I remember when how many months ago did we post that the what i call what do we call it the zen squat on the my zen Instagram? squat the luke summer squat mm-hmm. and it's just like collapsing the knees Round back and uh, 100 kg for sets of 10. everything we told you not to do, but everything your high school football coach told you to do. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or said was perfect. Looks great. (laughs) Throw another 100 on. Uh, But oddly enough, doing a lot of that, just volume, volume, lighter weight, volume stuff there, right? And so I guess, ladies and gentlemen, imagine like uh, holding a 50-pound dumbbell in your right hand. Balancing on a two board or like a four inch to six inch box on your left leg, your right knee is in a high knee. You're standing up nice, tall, pretty posture. And then you start to hinge down and across over your left leg while kicking your right leg as far back as you can. Try and think of like creating the longest arc that you can create from your outside right ankle to basically behind your ear, right? Like, so just kind of bending over and around your left leg as you're hinging and lowering, kind of like a reverse lunge or a single leg squat. But taking that right hand with that right dumbbell and also reaching it as far back and down behind you as you can go. And then do that for 100 reps. 
But where where is your conscious execution? What are you thinking about? Uh, no breathing, but mm-hmm. like, what is your objective with that spine that you are consciously trying to release? Separate, just create separation. Like like lengthen it, right? I, for whatever reason, I, it doesn't work in a dead bug. It doesn't work in a seesaw walk. It doesn't work with um, standing like Spider Man, anything like that. But kind of like piecing it all together as I go through the eccentric and then as you, I stand up out of there, just thinking about like keeping it, keeping it folded for as long as I can until I have to stand up back to that starting position. And it just, it disappears. Disappears just like that. Boom, pain gone. Tightness gone. Literally like gone. Just like that. Pow. Pow. Got a window to move. I know. And it, what's crazy is like, then what do you do with it, right? So then on... Lower days, just carries, nothing too crazy on the carries. And then lots of belt squat. I'm going to get back into the single leg. Heel elevated, I think. Nice. But I got to figure out how I can do that without throwing 500 pounds on my back. We'll get creative. Don't mm-hmm. worry. Well, not that I ever did it with 500 pounds on my back. <laughs> yeah, we did. <laughs> that oh, was the we bilateral. Did. Yeah, we did the bilateral um, active foot. But what's crazy is you get this window of movement and you just, you perform at peak levels like this morning, right? Oh, so gosh. I go through my 20 minute routine of my ant low voodoo. And then what happened? We played a little spike ball. And then what happened? Do you remember? I do. Skunked McQuilkin three games straight. I think his combined point total was maybe 11 points. I had scored, ladies and gentlemen, my combined point total since I won at 21 points each round. If you do the math text, that's 63 points to 11. (laughs) So as you will learn in this podcast, that was a very freshman statement, very self, very self. Oh, okay. I was thinking of a sophomoric approach with the unit. What did my team need? What did my unit need? You needed a win, buddy. So I gave you three. Is that what it is? Well, I'll tell you what. Keep going. <laughs> uh, well, this is all about the language of leadership in which we will learn. Mm-hmm. That's episode. right. So enough about me. If you want to talk a little bit about what you're getting into, what uh, you're sniffing, what are you scratching and sniffing? Quickly on training, I'm all in on French contrast on field strong because people, it's cool interacting on the feeds because people familiar with the term French contrast are thinking, well, we, we're going to need bands. We're going to need chains and all this box set up. No. We're not going power lifting approach to French contrast. We're using those tools to carry over to sprint and speed. So it's a way if you are in your garage gym as an individual athlete, a very unprudent way to training would be what is used in a typical power lifting approach to French contrast. Instead, we're using old school old school approaches of French contrast within an athleticism filter. So I'm excited to see this unfold. John and I tested a while, but now I'm all in on the full cycle over the next eight weeks. Mm -hmm. And I do want to shamelessly plug Plug, 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 plug. the Sports Summit 2020 put on by Iowa Youth Rugby. Youth, youth, rugby. So I'll be heading up to Iowa to speak on transfer of training so using the barbell and this is going to be a typically high school athlete centric Mm -hmm. uh, presentation so um, half lecture half in the weight room saturday march 7th 2020 for more info i 
A-Y-R-A.org. One more time. I-A-Y-R-A.org. So I-A-Y-R-A.org. Dot org. Uh-huh. Iowa. Youth. Youth. Rugby. Rugby. Association. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. So it's going to be a great time just talking, rapping, and lifting weights in Wranglers. So if you're out in Iowa, people, or maybe you're not, maybe you can get to Iowa with various modes of modern technology like spaceships. Head to Iowa. It's like a four-hour drive from Madison. Dave. 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 McCurchard. Jill. 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 Kyle Kraft. Who else we got out there? But it's, yeah, Central America. A, f- a typical flyover state, but we're going to drop some knowledge bombs on it. Central America, huh? That's what you selected? I don't know. It's the Midwest, you donkey. It's Central. Central America is south, is above South America and below North America. Central America. That's what it is. That's what I said. <laughs> no, you're out of your mind. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not going to let you go put you through any hey, more. If you got this. a problem with this, Iowa. No, I'll solve I'll it. Solve it. <laughs> meet me Saturday, March 7th in Des Moines. Uh, I am not going to let you put these poor listeners through any more of your boring nonsense. Let's talk to someone worth their time. Mr. Tom Newman. Go, go. Well, where do you want to start with this, McQuilkin? Well, Let's start with an intro, Tom, man. So you've been in the coaching business for a while, and now you have an amazing opportunity to lead your own program. So why not share with our listeners your journey to get to the seat you are, and then from there we'll, we'll take it and learn about the vision that you are putting in place at Yale. Awesome, yeah. So I, I've been really lucky. So it's been an odd collection of just experiences and I think kind of life that got me here. Um, I think all of us have our initial iron bug story. So myself included, I was 16 years old, had stress fractures in both shins and uh, I was working out and I, you know, at the time, you know, we're talking 1999, 98 and, you know, the, uh, the magazines, you go get the magazine, take a look at it and you try to do it. You see what the athletes are doing and kind of want to be like them. I was working hard and then uh, I'm not sure if you guys have spoken to this individual, but uh, he's great. His name's Brian McDonough. Uh, he's up at EPS. He's in Foxborough, works with the New England Patriots. But he came up to me, 16-year-old me, and said, hey, you trying to work out? I was like, yeah, I'm trying to get better. And he's like, you want me to write you a plan? I was like, what is a plan? <laughs> and I just remember that moment where he was like, yeah, we're going we're gonna to sit down. We're going to talk about this. And you know, I'm going to give you this basically recipe. And you do the recipe four times a week, and you're going to do this. And if you have any questions, come see me. And then in four weeks, I'll give you a new recipe. And I was like, what happens next? And he's like, you'll see. And so he, uh, he wrote that. And I just remember uh, there was a picture. I had, back in the day, I used to play volleyball. There's a picture of me getting over the net. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I got that high and, and touching the rim for the first time when it wasn't even close. And I remember telling him, I was like, oh, my God, this is magic. Like, I don't know what this is, but this is magic. And I want more of it. And I want to learn how you did this. And he said, well, it's not magic. It's physics and biology and exercise science. And, you know, when you head off to URI next year, you know, put you in touch with the guys and go from there. And so he's been a great mentor literally since day one. I've always liked coaching. I've always liked athletics. I think any of us have. And, you know, we're always looking to see how we can stay a part of it. And again, too, there's a day when everybody finishes being a competitive uh, athlete. But I think we just channel it different, whether it's in business or whether it's in uh, our profession and craft. But that same obsessive, you know, hating to lose, not wanting to, you know, miss anything and doing the best by our team and our team by proxy is our athletes. 
um, that still drives me. And so from there, I went to school, um, was able to work there. And then actually, and part of why we have our internship here is I got to be a senior and they said, you know, you need to do your internship. And our, uh, our professor at the time said, you know, there's this guy, his name's Tom Blaney. He's, you know, it's division three. It's over in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. Uh, you're gonna have to commute. But I think, you know, as far as he's going to let you do the most and you're not just going to be cleaning down benches, like he'll teach you, but it's going to be hard, but you can't miss a day. That was the one thing you can't miss a day. And, uh, you know, rain, sleet, shine, you gotta make sure you're over there. So we did. And, you know, I went over there and Tom did a great job and he coached the hell out of me as much as he did the, the players. And that was so critical because I would come in on a Friday and say, what is stretch shortening cycle? And then he'd give me a bunch of articles and say, go read it. And then on Monday, we're going to talk about it. And then on Tuesday, we're going to apply it. And then we're going to design a plan and we're going to talk about it. And so this kind of just kind of iterative learning of just what's that? What's that? What's Olympic lifting? What's that? Why does this guy do that? And so he was great. And so that was really a chance for me to kind of apply, make mistakes, have a sandbox environment where I'm working with athletes, learning my craft, but in a very safe kind of um, low risk environment. So that was great. Then after there, it was kind of funny. I, uh, I got a job at the Sports Club LA, which was uh, located in the Ritz-Carlton. So everything that you can imagine about being in Boston in the Ritz-Carlton and had a whole bunch of clients and did sales, direct sales to get it. And it was pretty successful there. And actually still to this day uh, in touch with people and did that for a year and a half. And I think this is you know the message that I say to our students is that it's a small industry. It's a small world and, you know, just do a really good job and it gets around and a year and a half got into that um, situation there. And then uh, Tom Blaney, my intern and the coordinator reached out and said, Hey, you know, we have an opening. Would you like a job? And I tell all the young kids, you, you can have a resume or anything, but I mean, it's good to have, but it's, it's who, you know, and it's what you did. Mm -hmm. And so I've never been hired directly off a resume. And so you have to be careful is that you can have the 4.0 GPA, but if you're a jerk, like people are gonna remember that. And so really working on your relationships with your mentors and, you know, being humble, but being hungry, uh, I think is a delicate balance and, and pushing to do that. And then, um, you know, from there, good things happen. So I went to Salve and was there from uh, 08 to 2011. And we turned that football program around. That was great. Um, and it was really exciting and learned a lot. Coached field hockey, did soccer, did uh, men's hockey and all those kind of things. And, and at the division three level, you know, you're really challenged because it's voluntary because they don't have to do it. You know, and again, at that level, you know, it's far more, hey, let's get you in here, get you right. Versus if you don't show up, you know, there's, your coach is going to yell at you. And I don't I think that that, you know, especially in 08, and 09, that might have been a little bit more prevalent. But especially now with everything going on, I think that's the way the field's moving in general. Your job, your job is to get them to love the weight room. Your job is to kick them out of the weight room because they won't leave because it's Friday night at eight o'clock. And they were, you know, they've been there for four hours. Um, and so that's that's really kind of what. Um, that was like, and then after there, I, uh, I left. I actually started a startup company, um, and that's actually where I first met uh, Hewitt and the Team Builder guys because he was starting his company as well. Um, but we did analytics and we had software and a bunch of different things, and we grew that um, to basically have software around the country to different schools. And my job specifically was to work with schools like Yale, like Florida State, uh, Nebraska, all the different schools. Uh, Bishop Gorman was a customer, and a bunch of other schools, and it was great. And um, we really were able to help them. And then uh, when that time came to an end, uh, you know, anybody who's done own their own business, uh, sometimes you just need to recharge. So I was able to do that. And uh, I was at that time, just started talking to schools and uh, coach Andy Shea uh, is actually 
really good friends with one of my cousins. So I didn't know they grew up in upstate New York. And my cousin said, yeah, my buddy's a coach at Yale. You know, do you know him? I said, I don't know him. You go down and talk to him. And so that's when, you know, really it kind of began and coach talked about his vision. You need to put you in touch with Tony Reno, the football coach. And, you know, we'd like to bring you down here um, to do that. And so they were able to get me here in January of 16. And then it's been a wild ride since then. You know, we started with pretty lofty goals of, you know, beating Harvard and winning an Ivy championship in football and for lacrosse, obviously to win a national championship, um, you know, all things that hadn't been done in a long time or at all. Uh, and we were able to achieve all of that um, by the spring of 2018. And uh, so now, you know, we just won our second out of two out of three years for the Ivy championship for football lacrosse. We won a national championship and had uh, Ben Reeves. We were able to make him into the number one player in the country, uh, the Toraton winner, which hadn't happened, and then uh, reload and come back last year. I mean, unfortunately, we didn't get the outcome we wanted against Virginia, but programmatically, uh, it's in really good shape. And again, too, uh, we talk about all the time not being goal oriented, being process oriented. You're not always going to get the outcome you want, and if you let that drive your emotions, um, you're going to typically fumble and you're going to, you're going to have problems. And so we, we say, whether we win or lose, people ask, well, what are you guys going to do different? We're not, we're going to stay in process. We're going to challenge ourselves to stay in process, to have our nutrition be on point, to have our sleep be on point and all these different things. And I, I'm, I'm blessed that, you know, the Yale students are some of the smartest human beings I've ever met. And so, you know, I'll sit and say, Hey, you know, you know, you know, uh, you know what uh, BCAAs do They're like, Oh yeah, it works on the mTOR pathway. And then they can explain it because they're biomechanical or biomedical engine. And they're telling me about, you know, leptin and insulin, like growth factor, because they're working at the brain lab trying to cure cancer. We had one kid working on the CRISPR and he's like, yeah, you know, I cured a bunch of leukemia and these fish over the summer. And I was like, wow, I was a lifeguard when I was, <laughs> but that's what they do. And, and it's incredible. And, and so it's, it's nice that I can give them a little bit. I'll give them information, whether it's research, experience, a story, um, but then they take it and they run with it to a new level. And that's kind of really where you look across the board. I mean, we right now, you know, have 29 teams actively training full time year round. And what I would consider, you know, we would say hardcore, you know, you don't mess around. You know, when our field hockey team rolls in, if, you know, you're two minutes over your time and they'll strip the weight of the football players bench, huh. like they, awesome. they don't care. You know, they don't, that's your time. And when it's our time and then we're going to get out. And I think there's just such a mutual respect. And if you walk into our weight room, you, you don't hear us scream and yell. Um, you know, it's just, it's a vibe. I, just the only way I can describe it is it's a party from 6 a.m. to nine o'clock at night. And I tell the guys, whether you bench 135 or the ladies, you know, whether you squat, whatever, it, did you get better? And, and sometimes when we try to get better, we don't get the outcome we wanted. Cause you know what, you stayed up all night and you did your finals and you didn't get your sleep. But that's okay because it wasn't about you not getting the weight you wanted is that you were there to positively motivate the people around you. And we know that, you know, positively or negatively, your energy is a contagion and you can use it for good. And, and again, I'm feeling beat up, I'm crappy, I'm whatever, but you can't have a negative attitude. Attitude and effort are non-negotiable. You know, we take a lot of stuff from uh, Nick Saban and their program, uh, Urban Meyer with above the line uh, type mentality and, and actually turning it into operational things. And I think a lot of times with culture and kind of that stuff, uh, there's a lot of buzzwords. There's a lot of buzzwords, but what is the operational field manual, if you will, to make sure that your players are, you know, behaving the right way and that your coaching staff knows how to, you know, you know, get the most out of them. You know, how can you be demanding without being, you know, demeaning? or being, you know, rude. And, it, and it's tough. And I think a lot of young coaches come in with a lot of fire and intensity and they mean well. Um, but at the same time, realizing, you know, 90% of my time is I go to breakfast with the boys. I'll, you know, go to lunch with the ladies. I'll go, you know, at night, we'll have like a round table to talk about what we need to do. We got a road trip. And so 
there's a lot of just time, like just time that you're spending and investing because people see me. And if I, if I get after somebody, well, how can you do that? And the kid gives you a hug afterwards Well, because he knows I care. I'm not, I'm not telling him anything that isn't true. It may not be what he wants to hear in the moment, but a lot of times is that, you know, you have this incredible capacity. We're just not there yet. And we, we joke all the time. It's growing, growing pains, not growing funds. Otherwise everyone would do it. And so uh, you have to go through that. And, and when, when it's through and they're seniors, um, it's pretty incredible to see that transformation, um, you know, in them as leaders. And so that's where, you know, where I'm at now is that I'm lucky in 2018, I was put in charge of all, all teams and uh, our staff is incredible. Again, I welcome you guys to come visit. It's, it's wild. It's that <laughs> we have some of the smartest coaches. We got guys that are great at Excel. We have high emotional intelligence people and, you know, every day they make me better. And I think, mm-hmm. You know, very, very rarely in life you can get, you know, to be so lucky where you work at a school like Yale, you, you have a, a staff that, you know, let's grind it for it. We, we were up today, we were up at four o'clock in the morning out at the field at five. Everybody had a smile on their face and they're, and they're rolling. And we will get out tonight at about nine o'clock um, and you just do it and you're doing it for your staff. And then that rubs off, I think, on the players because they see how much we care about them. And so that's kind of where we're at and just trying to push the envelope. So that's kind of me in a nutshell. So, Tom, I want to stick on something. You said you started in January 2016, right? Correct. So that means that you've ridden, you've been on the train with a couple guys who have been freshmen all the way up till they graduate, right? Are there fifth-year seniors, I'd imagine? Uh, there are. Uh, we don't currently have any right now. Okay. But yeah, no, the graduating football senior class um, was my first class, like first indoctrination, and then the lacrosse players of last uh, May. So Johnny Danagelis and his class, uh, they were my freshmen uh, as well. So talk a little bit about that, man. That's kind of like, that's a huge milestone, right? That's like kind of, I mean, you've been with those kids, they've been with you, you've been with them literally the whole, the whole leg, right? The whole quad. So yeah, I mean, absolutely. we joke about it is that, you know, like these kids, it's like you get them freshman year and it's like, pull up your pants, tie your shoes, like wash your hands. Like, and I remember I asked him, I said, you guys are smart. I said, what's your nutrition good? Yeah. My coach, my nutrition's good. It's like, cool. All right. You know, uh, you know, you eat vegetables and they're like, hell yeah. I eat rice. (laughs) No. Well, they're not wrong. Right. (laughs) I know you have, I know you have a perfect SAT score. Um, We got to do better than that. And so that's where we come at. And then, you know, as they evolve, um, you know, there's this model, Colbert's model of moral development. And, you know, there's four stages. The first stage is that, you know, you're avoiding punishment, you know, and if you think about it with little kids, you know, when we have timeout, right, you put them in timeout, kids doing every action not to get into timeout. But then when they go to kindergarten, what are they trying to do? Trying to get stickers, trying to get stars. You know, we even see that at the collegiate level, like you're trying to get stickers on your helmet, mm-hmm. right? It's the same thing. It's this positive reward. And then you have the third level where they're going and they're trying to really, you know, make the right decision themselves. Those are your end of so- maybe so- some sophomores, juniors, where it's an A or B option. It's a limited option given by leadership and they have to demonstrate they choose the right choice. And then hopefully your seniors or high level juniors, it's in their DNA. Mm-hmm. So for instance, when we do a warm up, we did a warm up yesterday with football. I called out the commands. I gave the direction and our guys, if it's not perfect, they'll say reset. And they'll reset them. And they'll talk about what a reset is. And they'll talk about what AP means. They'll talk about what strain means. And so they're doing it on their own. I mean, and it's wild. And so my freshman to senior year, and, and what's funny is that the seniors go, why don't the freshmen understand this? Da, 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 da. Yeah. You didn't. And, and if they did, we'd have a bigger problem because that means our process isn't that good. You've gone through this hardening process and you just think differently. You have a different filter, a different intelligence both analytically and emotionally to be able to make and navigate and connect the dots. And so as they become more invested, 
you know, what can you do to teach them? And again, we give the out. If you don't want to do it, go, it, go. Don't, don't, don't let us hold your hand. And again, too, the Ivies is interesting is that, you know, there, there's no scholarship. Mm-hmm. You can walk away at any time. And so I always, you know, when parents or other scouts or people come to ask, you know, we have one of our players right now, Foya Lewikin, and actually two, Jaden Graham on the Atlanta Falcons, you know, you know, Ivy guys, is, is he a nerd or is he a football player? And I just said, well, you know, the kid wants to play in the NFL. He got, you know, really good grades in economics and he could have quit at any time. How many guys are you interviewing right now for the NFL? That if you told him, hey, you could walk away, go to college, you know, no repercussions. How many guys would stick through? and play for four years and 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 not to mention like football division one football is very tough but on top of it you throw in an ivy education these kids get no breaks no, i think sometimes yeah. there's a misconception the athletes get a break it's like our, our guys don't you know our ladies don't they're in labs just with everybody else they're up at four or five they're they're back in their dorms finish their workouts before other people even wake up and so they've, they've got a tremendous work capacity and so um you know it's just really interesting to watch that journey and then especially now where you know we're into the, the second wave of people um, that have been through it, they're taking it to a whole new level. They speak differently to each other. They have vocabulary that I don't even know, but they're able to go in and say, hey, we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about this and, um, you know, decide, you know, what we need to do to get you right. So that that's, it's, it's just awesome. I think you hit it is that it's a major milestone and I'm excited to see what comes next. And I guess along that same track, um, you know, you're handed new responsibilities, but what about your personal growth? Like what, what, personal milestones did you hit along your first five years there man because that's also like just in general in any profession at any company that's a commonly celebrated accomplishment yeah i mean obviously winning the national championship was a huge milestone that everyone's like you can't do it we did it you know you got lucky then we went back the next year hopefully mm-hmm. again this year football you got lucky you know but beating you know being able to beat harvard you know three out of four years is pretty great um, those are all good, but I think my biggest, and I don't know, I wouldn't know if it's a milestone cause I hope it's not over is I, I walk down the street and I have world experts in psychology. I have world experts. Like we, we do general Stanley McChrystal as a teacher, um, in the, the international school. And so he comes and does a whole trip. We go to Gettysburg with him and all of his buddies. And we talk about leadership. We, we actually lay behind the wall at Gettysburg where, you know, our guys had to decide whether or not they're going to fight the Confederates or not. And so my my view of psychology my view of culture my view of operations has changed so much to the point where i think we all had that moment where we think we know everything we know a good amount and you have that shock and awe moment of like oh my god this is the tip of the iceberg even in getting into the neurophysiology when a kid goes oh my god you know i don't know what i was thinking well genuinely they don't know they get athletic delirium and they separate the frontal cortex and they can't think and process so you know doing drills where hey you have to do math while you ride the bike you have to do math while after you run and sprint you got to answer questions you got to stay engaged and learning just how powerful that is and all i can ever think is like oh my god i can't believe i didn't know this same thing into writing programs you think you write great programs we've obviously had good success and you're like oh i'm such an idiot and i think just staying humble all the way through and and just realizing that you know especially guys have been doing this for a long time you know, I noticed you had, you know, Andrea Hootie on, I mean, like her, her results speak for herself and how she's doing that. And what can you learn from her? And what can you learn from, uh, you know, all the coaches that are out there that are just doing it day in and day out? Because I think there is a discrepancy and I've talked about this and I don't know if it's controversial. I think there's a discrepancy between the education of strength and conditioning or call it exercise science and the field. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it helps us. I don't think it helps us when someone has a master's degree, you know, and they're living on food stamps. I don't think that, you know, when you go down the line again, it's a relationship business. 
but at the same time, can you imagine, I mean, you get a kid who exercise science degree, we would all hope that he could write a workout. I can't tell you the number of kids where I'm like, write me a workout. And they, we don't, we can't talk about a novice. We can't talk about intermediate. We don't know basic concepts. But I said to the kids, you're not hireable. You have a CSCS, you have a college degree and you're not hireable. Imagine if someone graduated with an accounting degree, but couldn't pass their CPA exam. Useless. Yeah. And that's why you need to have your internships. That's why you need mentors because you need to apply it. And kids go, I want to hurry up. I want to learn more. It's like, you can't rush it. We know it takes between 800 and a thousand hours, depending on their background as a, as an athlete, 800 to a thousand hours of floor time, like coaching in the racks to get to the point where you're not going to kill somebody or you're less likely to kill. You're a junior mm -hmm. coach after a thousand hours, you know, you, you should be pretty confident with a CSCS and a degree that, you know, they're in that ballpark. Um, and again, that's just the beginning. That doesn't mean you're a good coach. That doesn't mean your progressions and regressions are good. Your coaching cues are on point, but you know, you're all, you're, you're all reaching the point that you're going to be hireable. And that's why we've had such a good success of placing kids through our programming. We grind them. I make no bones about it. You come to our internship, we're going to grind the hell out of you. Not just to be mean, to be mean, but like you, if you can't work 15 hour days, you know, if you can't pull an 80, 90 hour week, you're going to struggle, you know, and I think it's a enlightening for the kids to say, hey, you know, this isn't for me. Awesome. Better to find it out at 21 or 22 than, you know, getting shopped around to, you know, cushy internships that really don't push you. And again, I say to most of the kids, you're not going to get hired because of what you know. They're going to get hired because you're going to get hired because you hustle and you're a good, loyal person and you work hard and, you know, you're trying to do the right thing for the kids. You know, if you have those components, you are hireable and somebody's going to take you under their wing and hopefully in three to five years, you start to begin to know what you need to do. I would want to, I know we talked a little bit about this on the phone, but explore some of those resources that on campus that you discussed, like bringing in some psychologists to speak to your coaching staff. So what are some of the things that you pulled from the Yale resources to help empower your team? Yeah, so I, I think, you know, and again, too, we're happy. We'll post some of these links down here um, for the websites and some of the resources. Because I think, again, too, if you're listening to this, you know, we want you to actually have some actionable things to walk away with. And, um, you know, the biggest one I'd probably say is the emotional intelligence piece. So our president, um, President Salve, he, uh, he was really kind of one of the guys that pioneered the idea of emotional intelligence. And so, like, so when I talk to you guys, you know, when you go to lift, how do you guys feel? When you, when you lift out, I'm assuming you lift together, or maybe you lift with your buddies. How do you guys feel? What would you, how would you describe it? Tired. Tired. So that's, that's a word, right? And so words are connected <laughs> to emotions and to your mind and to neurotransmitters. So tired. What else? Oh, I'm ready, ready. But my performance <laughs> says differently. Right. Well, but now you're getting to a point though, that what, what happens when your performance does say differently, but what is your mindset? Mm -hmm. You know, neither one of you said it sucks. You probably enjoy the tired a little bit. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, um, I guess uh, it, obligation might not be the right term either, but uh, you got to do it. You don't got to do it. You don't got to do it. Nobody's going to, nobody's going to get after you if you, if you skip a workout. Yeah. To build, I will. But to build a, to build framework around that in the mindset, like I've created my own reality and, and value system where, you know, uh, getting a few lifts in a week and being active is just as important as eating, right? Like Why you're not going to starve yourself. Well, I mean, I guess people do, but uh, you'd be less prone to starve yourself on a weekly basis. Then why would you starve yourself of this type of activity that you need to continue to be healthy and well, right? Well, you don't need it. You don't need it. We have plenty of people that are obese right now. They, they opt not to do it, but why? And I think what I'm trying to get at is the driving force. You've described something that you view as vital. You have mm -hmm. friends that are associated with it. You know, for Texas is going to give you crap if you don't go. 
and you value him and you use that support network. So we have all these words and things that we describe. And, and I think often, you know, what I learned from the emotional intelligence guys is what happens when you get in a situation and you can't describe how you feel. You ever see a little kid, they get frustrated, they stomp, they outrage. So there's a default anger. Maybe they try to mimic the sound, you know, of what they're trying to describe, but there's this intense frustration. And the problem is, is frustration is not really helpful. That's not like you need to get to solutions and answers and move on. But if you don't have the words, so how do you feel? I feel tired. I feel upset. I feel angry. I feel there's these real feelings. And if you don't have the words, it's like watching TV in black and white versus color. You have clarity and you can't communicate. When you want to talk to text about a workout, how do you do it? If you go words. into your, what words, words, you probably <laughs> mimic with your hands. Like, Oh, I got under this. It was and you get animated and there's all this body language associated with but sure. all that's the communication pattern. When you get someone who doesn't know why they're frustrated or specifically an athlete that has had success their entire career, now you're throwing them into weight room, which might be the first time they have adversity. How do you handle it? And then typically they say it's a negative response or a failure. Do you view missing a rep as a failure? I have guys that if they miss their rep, it's end of world. They're mad. They're frustrated. And then the rest of the workout sucks. And it's just like in a game, the ref makes a bad call. You don't get the play that you wanted. And if those emotions start to drive you and you're not aware and you can't articulate it, there's some really big problems. And so there's an app called Mood Meter. It's free. You can download it. And what's really interesting is Mark Brackett is the head of our Emotional Intelligence Center. And, you know, we talk with him um, and, and we've had conversations with him. And, you know, again, it's just the tip of the iceberg, but there's so much there. And, you know, he'll he'll meet with our coaches. And so say, you know, for instance, in practice, you know, I can't believe you missed that tackle. So a tackle was missed. You can coach it like that or you can say, hey, you need to get back out there and we're going to do this until you get that tackle. It's a very small, slight change in words. But we know there's a completely different cascade in the brain for how the kid is going to receive that. And especially, too, when you're doing things so that you don't fail, that's such a base level, going back to the level one of avoiding failure and punishment, that's such a base level intellect. And when you take that away and you say, hey, get back out there, go again, right? Especially in a practice setting, you want them, you want the guy who's going to go out and do 100 reps. You're going to have some good ones, you're going to have some bad ones. But if that negativity cannibalizes your behavior, that's a problem. So you go, you lose a football game on Saturday, you're all mad, you go out drinking on Saturday night, you go in Sunday, you don't lift, you don't move, you don't eat well, you know, whatever. And so now all of this stuff, you just impacted next Saturday, you know, before the week even started. And so talking to people about, you know, most emotions and the mood and the app, you're gonna say, I'm, I'm so, I'm furious, I'm angry. And one of the things that they'll talk about, it's very hard to be angry, like really, really angry for more than a couple minutes. You don't really see people furious for weeks. Usually you flame up and then you calm yourself down. But if in that flame up, you decide to go make bad decisions, you drinking and driving or, you know, you know, anger, you punch something, you get in trouble. Now suddenly you have a whole bunch of other problems that were directly derived to the fact that you were like, wow, I'm really mad, but I know that this mad is going to go away. I know that I'm really mad, but let's start working towards solutions. And just how effective that stuff is, in understanding the communication of how they feel um, to drive behavior is fascinating. And so we, we've done that and that I think has been really incredible. And there's some great, he did some great lectures um, that are posted online. And I think emotional intelligence is probably one of the next big things, at least in our field that you're going to see that the people that are really good at reading people and educating the athletes of how you feel and communicate, you know, I think you have a huge advantage because you're going to get so much more out of them. You know, what's the matter? No, I'm fine. No, no, something's a matter. Well, I, I don't know. I, uh, you frustrated, you down, you let down. 
you're embarrassed, whatever it is. Okay, great. So now we've applied a word. Good. Yep. Let's move on and addressing the issue so that it doesn't foster into a three month. I hate my teammates. I don't want to do this. And now there, because every, the words, the language and the body language and the, the verbal language are so powerful. I think sometimes we underestimate it because you guys, you vibe together. You go to West side, nobody in that room's down. It's just energy all the time. We're so lucky that we have this opportunity. And I think sometimes in the college setting, if you're dealing with hundreds and hundreds of yeah, athletes, I don't know if every kid's amped. I don't know if every kid gets it. So well, how do we create that? I'd imagine when it, you know, that you hit these just natural undulation of peak and valley in your mood, right? Especially when you're in college and you don't know what the hell is like, you don't know what the hell is going on really, right? You're, you're legally a moron at yeah, 18, every, 19, everything 20. <laughs> is the end of the world. Like right. it's okay. You don't have to play Fortnite. Like it's okay. Like you'll, you'll find, you'll find another girlfriend. It'll be fine. You'll find another boyfriend. It's, you know, it's, everything's catastrophic. And so trying to just take the game down a little bit and just mm-hmm. kind of be a little bit more steady makes them happier as people, but then also makes them more productive. But there's also probably a little bit of a guard up where even it's just hard to vocalize vulnerability, right? And I think that's not unique to a 18, 19, 20 year old kid. I think that's probably unique to any sort of like, um, any sort of competitor, right? Because I just, I'm, I'd imagine that it's like at a restaurant when you order the soup and it's terrible, right? And there's like a pube in it. And then the waitress comes up. She's like, hey, how's the soup? You're like, oh, it's great. Love it. It's perfect. Like n- no one wants to just get down to brass facts or brass tacks that it's like, this is bad, you know? And because it's confrontational, it's awkward, but it's a lot easier if you can just be honest with yourself. I mean, that's liar. Li- isn't that liar, liar, Jim Carrey? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, and we talk about that too, especially uh, across, you know, I think it's all teams, but sometimes you get it with the female teams as well. Is how do you walk that line of being accountable, but not, you know, you know, being overly hard or someone's, be, someone's being bitchy. And, and, and you could be, you know, the guys too. We had an incident last night where a couple of the guys were like, you, you weren't in AAP enough. Like it, it wasn't enough. Like you were in your position, but it wasn't enough. And you can either A, get mad about that or say, wow, you know what? I'm really excited that my brothers held me accountable to that. And I know that in October next year, that that is good. That actually, that little seed is going to grow into something and I need to pass that on. And so that's the job of the strength coaches, creating that environment where you're encouraging it and you're letting them be leaders, but also too keeping an eye on it so that it grows. Uh, not too much, not too little. Um, but certainly, like you said, like, you know, nobody wants, it's just awkward. It's, it's sticky. It's, it's just, it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. And everybody would just rather just shut their mouth and not have a problem. So then what's the trick, man? Like, is it, is it to build up? I think that's a, I personally think it's a level of trust, right? If there's a, if there's a exchange between two individuals who have mutual level, like high levels of trust, you're probably more likely to say like, yo, McQuilkin, what's going on today, man? And he's like, you know, bad news, this bad news that I'm kind of in this slump, right? Versus if it was some intern who, you know, you've known for what, two weeks? Right. Forget this guy, right? I'm not telling, I'm fine, go away. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Yeah, and I think, you know, what we tell, so that's a great point. So we have a layered system of leadership and specifically for the interns, my job, I tell all the interns, be our eyes and ears. See if you as a coach can identify when when things are good, but they're really not. And then you you level that up, you report up to the coaches and it's our job to do it. But that's, it all gets back to the relationships, Right. Why do I go get coffee with my athletes? Why do I go and get lunch with my athletes? Why do I go spend time with them? You know, get to know them. Like, how's class? The number of time coaches have been like, you know, oh, you're a football player. You're a football player. Well, no, you know, you're, you're, you're Bob. 
you know, you're, you're, you're Lisa, you're whoever, you're, you're a person, right? And you get to know them. And again, the more that as a coach, they trust in you, they open up in you. Yeah, I think absolutely. It's, it's your relationship to do it. But I think, you know, again, for us, especially freshmen and sophomores, like I tell them, like, look up the definition of what being sophomoric is, right? Look it up. They can't avoid it. The cloud. It's just a cloud. What's that it just, mean? I have no clue. So it's, it's, it's usually they say somewhere along the lines of overly confident, uh, you know, uh, was it overly confident and, you know, like a falsehood of, of understanding of knowledge. That's and, well, it's like hanging out with Luke. Hey, Hey, yeah. Hey, <laughs> Hey, Hey pal. I heard that. <laughs> and yeah, this, this is awesome, Tom. So is there, can we get into that layered leadership approach? Is there a, a system that you put in place where you begin with mental and emotional state of an individual that evolves into the mental and emotional state of a team? Yeah. And I think that that's where, you know, specifically to both lacrosse and, and football and, and we have a bike and, and I'm not just picking those two, just those are the ones that I've been the most actively involved with. I think it really starts off with the culture and describing what is culture. And again, people thought we got to talk, we got to talk. Well, really what we need to do is have alignment of views. So if you walk in right now and you ask our strength and conditioning department, so what are core values do they know? So for you guys, do you have core values? And say you say yes, say you say no. Nine times out of 10, I've asked teams, okay, what are the core values? And you go up to one player and they say, you know, we need to be accountable. We need to, you know, buzzword, buzzword. And then you go to the next person. They say it out of order. They don't say it right. They say different words. You go to a company or a corporation, you know, do we have core values? Yeah, it's in our manual somewhere. <laughs> but if you're not talking about it every single day, well, it's really not you because without those core values and mutual agreed upon that, like, we want to be elite, which means I'm going to grind you, which means I'm not going to embarrass you. But like, I'd be, I'm going to be mad that if you don't hold accountable, me accountable, then, you know, that's a problem. And I think it, it's, that stems from our staff, but then also into the players. And then once you know those core values, you have to decide to get all in or not. So what's your, what's your mantra? What's your, what's your driving factor? And the thing about sports every year, there's a new mantra that has to come about. It has to be organic. Sometimes it comes out in the summer. Sometimes it comes out now. Sometimes it, you know, it's all these different things, but you have to make sure everybody's all in. And if they don't, that's cool. But yeah, I'm not going to drag you along. Like you either want to do this and you're going to give the maximum effort. You may get the results you want. You may not, but you're going to give maximum effort. And if you can do that, now we can go. So your freshman, your, your first job as a freshman, your job is to handle your 20 square feet and make sure that you're showing up to class. You're going to things on time. You're doing the best that you, you're worrying about you. You know, your sophomores, you're trying to make sure that when you, when you get out there, that you've seen it that you're trying to not only handle your 20 square feet, but you're also looking at your unit. So if I'm a defensive end and I'm a sophomore, I'm thinking about the entire D line, or maybe I'm thinking about my D ends. And, and what we tell is like, as a sophomore, you're in the service business. You need to go serve the team. You need to serve your teammates by going and getting more lunch. Don't ever, there should never be a time if you're on a team where you can't coordinate to make sure that you can get a touch point with a freshman or, you know, go learn from a senior, go learn from a junior. So sophomores, your job is really to focus on the unit and then, you know, uh, serve. The juniors, they need to really be re re relying on the fact that they're squared away as a freshman. The sophomores, they, they've spent time connecting, and now they're thinking more globally. So it's probably more offense and defense, and we really hammer them with the language and terminology. And again, too, just as an example, for if you're listening, go ask your freshmen to describe how they feel. Go ask your freshmen about how the lift went. You know, if I talk to you guys about lifts, we're going to say, you know, this had an INOL of two. It had a tonnage of 50,000 pounds. The work rate was this. I worked at 85%. Like 85% means something to you guys. 
we have a shared language and ontology to share. But if you have a freshman who listens to us babble, they're going to be like, what are they talking about? I don't get it. So your juniors really have to be learning the language of leadership. You know, how do you, how are you demanding, but not demeaning? How are you positive, but also, you know, holding people to standard and, and you give them those sandbox environments of, Hey, you know, so-and-so is having a really hard time. You know, what would you say? Coach, I would, I think I should say this, this, this. and sometimes you're like, absolutely not, <laughs> but I'm glad you talked to me. Why don't, have you thought about this? And again, for my guys, you know, my, my athletes, my ladies, they, they'll take that and they'll noodle it for a week and they'll come back and be like, you know what? I understand that. I understand. Okay. I'm going to go. And so it's these guided experiences where then suddenly now they're building credibility with the players. Um, and so they feel confident. And then when you kind of get to your senior year, you're, you got to be all in. You put in all this time, you're invested. You've usually, you know, body wise, you've either gone through an injury or you've pushed through some sort of pain or adversity. And, and now you got to pay it forward. And so your job as the senior is to be globally vision, a vigilant at, you know, out, out of the, the weight room, uh, out at the field, out at the, you know, at parties, at, you know, class, you know, even little things like, hey, you didn't hold the door open. I saw at the coffee shop, you didn't hold the door open. And a freshman goes, why do I have to hold the, the door open? I don't know that. For, no, no, no. It's a larger representation of who we are. You know, especially 18 to 21 year old males, 18 to 21 year old females, they're not going to be perfect all the time. And so those seniors really have to make sure that they're constantly checking and grooming. And you're not doing it because you don't want to get yelled at. You're doing it because for the four years that you've invested, you don't want to go out on a legacy that the team was just a bunch of jerks. And so that's pretty self-fulfilling. And then we select the captain. So Yale's unique. You only have one captain. It's elected by the team. So the coaches have no input on it. And so then that captain will assign lifting, you know, off-season captains. It could be four, it could be five for football, it might be eight. Um, and then you have teams underneath there. And so their job and what you're doing is you're taking the seniors making them the captains of the lifting teams to hold each other accountable. But then you're grooming your lieutenants in the sophomores, heightened sophomores and juniors that really like might be excited. They just don't know what to do, you know? And again, getting out of the, like, I'm mad. Like I, when kids go, I'm mad, I'm happy. That shows me you only have two gradients of scale. You know, I, I want to hear like, you're disappointed in the fact you couldn't show up on time. You know, I'm disappointed in the fact that you couldn't put it away. Or you know what? I'm so excited. And I said to one of the guys yesterday, I said, I'm so excited that you noticed their foot placement was off 30 degrees in the squat. And you saw them. And you and, and you didn't just go, oh, yeah, no, it's whatever. No, you went and you did it. And if you look at, like, our men's lacrosse team, it's, it's wild to watch. After when they transition and go out of the weight room, they will literally check every plate, every barbell, every pin, every bench, every everything, wipe it down. And they make sure that the next team coming in has the, the cleanest weight room. It looks like a showroom. It's wild. And I think that, you know, if you're a coach out there looking and, you know, maybe you have a team that isn't winning, maybe you have a team that isn't successful or you're trying to turn it around, you start with the little things. Because if they can't take pride in the weight room, uh, I just, I haven't seen that end up really well. I think that you need, you need to have that. And then, you know, secondarily, that transfers over to the field. It's about having respect for each other. It's about having priorities. Um, to, to be focused for the team. And I think that's kind of how we approach that, if that makes sense. I know that was a long-winded answer, but, you know, trying to encompass a lot of things. No, good, man. And I'm, a lot of that is what I would describe as kind of like high horsepower thinking, you know, and, and just, just the idea of slow thinking something for three, four days and coming back to the strength coach on it, right? Yeah. Do you think that there's an advantage to the culture you've created based off of just how f smart these kids are. I mean, they're Ivy league kids, right? 
Yeah, I mean, certainly. Um, but I think too, I think Ivy League, obviously you have to have high test scores. Um, but I think there's a lot of, you know, intelligence isn't just, you know, what you got on your SATs. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you walk into a room and you can, you can read the room. That's emotional intelligence. There's all different types of intelligence. And I think I'm definitely lucky. And I think, I think probably there's not many schools where our kids, you know, are using math lab to like calculate their tonnage and like do stuff. Like that's, <laughs> they're like making fun of us because we use Excel. Yeah. Um, that's certainly different, but I, th- I think that, you know, anywhere I've been, you know, people, there's a lot of smart people out there. They're different types of smart. And sure, I think sure. coach, you just got to find out what's the language they're going to understand. And again, don't just throw Shakespeare at them, mm-hmm. you know, start them off with the basics. Cause again, everybody think back to our first day when you couldn't do a push up, you got excited for doing five push ups. five pushups is nothing to be excited about, but if you couldn't do any at all, or you're coming off injury, that might mean the biggest thing. And I say to our coach all the time, give the kids victories. You know, that's self-fulfilling, you know, whether it's a mobility drill because, you know, they're super stiff, whether it's a strength thing, you want to stack wins. The weight room should be all positive. The only negative in the weight room ever is if you don't show up. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tell the kids is that if you don't show up, that's the only way that you lose. But if you come in and you give an honest effort and you go through, it should be all positive vibes. And we get all over the kids. If they, if they do a vertical jump and they didn't get the number they wanted. Oh, man, I can't believe I didn't. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it because right now you're being negative and the next guy up is going to feed off your negativity. So you have to correct that. And you just, as a strength coach or any kind of coach, I think it's tiring because it's the same message. I tell everybody, it's like every year it's the same movie on loop and we know how it goes and we know, you know, the warning signs. And then when you see magic, like right now, our football team, you know, last year was absolutely magical, absolutely magical, you know, and people saw the games that we play the double overtime win against Harvard, but I can tell you stories about may that were just as incredible. We can tell you about stories and, April. And as a coach, you got to eat those up and use those as fuel for yourself because your job is nonstop. The number of times I say, hold the door open, tie your shoes, you know, fill out your workout card, you know, log your team builder, make sure you, you know, who'd you have lunch with this week? Oh, I, I, these two guys, those are your buddies. I want your receiver. I want you to go eat with a lineman. I want you to do that. Okay. 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 All day long. And the guys, if you ask any of my players, it's nonstop all day. I'm not a screamer. I'm not a yeller. I'm not your you know, stereotypical division one strength coach, but I think the intensity is there, but I'll come up and have a personal conversation with you. You know, I thought that was really awesome the way that you handled that. Hey, you know what, next time, why don't you try this? Well, go do it right now here, jump out of line, go talk to him. Okay. Wow. That was a good leadership moment. So you want to build on those uh, mentor moments and leadership moments so that they get confidence. Cause it's like anything, the more confident you are, the more willing you are to try and you will fail. Like you will fail if you're trying to be successful, but if you don't, try it all, then you're just going to be mediocre at best. If that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. And, and just kind of backtrack a little bit. I, I guess in reflecting on the question, it wasn't meant to be negative connotation because even having high, like intelligent kids poses challenge. You still have to build the culture, you still have to figure out what identifies. And it's just like hearing a lot of what you say. Yeah, absolutely. You need high SAT scores. But if you think about even scoring high on standardized tests or even just kind of like the high school construct as it is, it's very process focused, right? So to have a culture in the weight room that aligns to that kind of that, that discipline, so to speak, is kind of a no brainer. And it's not to say that it was, it makes it easier. You, you got to be, you know, tooled up to appreciate and understand the dynamic of your teams and your athletes and where they come from and where they're going. Right. And, and you just make sure that your tracks are aligned with theirs where if you weren't in a Ivy League spot and you maybe you had some kids who are struggling academically and just don't have that capacity, you still got to build the culture. You still got to make the connection. You still got to build the trust, trust, and you still got to become aligned on that language, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think that's, yeah, you hit it on the head. It's just, it's the relationship with the kids. It's the relationships. And then it's the, you know, having a, agreed upon, you know, you got to agree upon the core values. Then you got to communicate, you got to teach the language and then you build it from there. And again, too, what happens is, is that, you know, for us is that it just becomes self-fulfilling. Who doesn't want to go into the weight room with your 40 best friends and just absolutely get after it? You've been sitting in class all day, whatever. Music's blasting. Everybody's fired up. Like just, it's a good vibe. It's a, it's a four day a week party. You know, and, and you realize too, and we see it with our seniors as they think it lasts forever, but you know, we just graduated a bunch of seniors and you know, they come in, Hey, can I still come into the weight room? Oh yeah, absolutely. You come to weight room. No, no, go to LA fitness. You know, it's going to be great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On the regular gym. No, no, we obviously want there. And then, you know, that's to, for them is making sure, I think that's important is making sure that there's a transition point set up for the seniors. Cause you know, for since how long, maybe four years, eight years, 10 years, their whole life they've identified as being a football player or a tennis player or whatever. And you need to make sure you need to do the due diligence as a coach to make sure that you're there for them. And some of them, it's a relief and they're excited and it's over. They've graduated. And then others, it can be really hard, you know, when they figure out their identity. And, you know, especially for us where it's so intensive and they felt like they had a role and a purpose and maybe they're mentoring a freshman and, you know, tell them like, yeah, we still want you around. You don't have to squat as much, but you can still hang around and still be with the guys. And uh, I think that's, you know, the more it comes from the, the players, the, uh, the bigger the impact all the time. Players are like, are you going to yell at him for that? I'm going to yell. You go, you go talk to him. We're not going to, we're not going to yell at him. We're going to tell him, Hey, you can do better. Here's how to do it. Now go do it. Cause you know that he's committed. Mm-hmm. So uh, back on the, the emotional intelligence piece, we have people listening that are, you know, just, I'll, I'll kind of broad brush some demographics for you and psychographics. We got guys who are like private facility working with general population, you know, think like CrossFit micro gym type stuff. Uh, we have dudes who, and chicks who are running like that kind of micro gym setup, but tailored towards performance, you know, the athletic athlete development, young athlete development. Um, we got team training coaches as well, like yourself at various levels, you know, uh, high school D3, D2, D1, maybe pro. They probably don't care about this next question, but you know, maybe some of them haven't even had like that lens, right? That lens that goes over to evaluate or even progress emotional intelligence in their client population, whether they're athletes or just normal people. Do you have a starter kit that you could suggest for, for these coaches who want to just kind of dip their toe into it, whether it's like the mechanics of recognizing the lack thereof in their clients you know what i mean like um how would you guide these folks yeah so we'll we'll post some links i think you know obviously uh mark and then our president has posted some great great videos on youtube you know and you can get a couple of those sessions and again that might really give you a good framework of just you're not going to understand all of it because they they get really deep but you'll understand like what can we expect out of the links right What, what can we expect a little bit out of the lectures yeah i think i think you know when you get into the lectures and they explain like what is the history why why did they start like when President Salve, you know, first talked about this and it was like so foreign, what was he looking at? What was the original research? And then doing it in manageable nuggets. So you're like, okay, it isn't just about SATs. And we can all think of that guy who was maybe not the greatest or that girl who wasn't the greatest in school, but you're like, wow, like they saw that coming or they were really smart. That's what it's called. It's called emotional intelligence. So again, you start to build your language and then they give just other points about how it drives action. And I think, you know, the next starter thing is, you know, download the app, Again, it's a free app. Download it. Work with your clients or work with your athletes. And I bet you if they're able to describe their emotions on the positive emotions, they have better actions. When they're negative, 
it's, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I, I cheated on my, you know, meal. I had a cheat meal. And then it completely, they fell off the wagon for the next two weeks, mm-hmm. right? When you're like, hey, yeah, I fell off, but I'm, you know, I have 42 meals this week. I missed one. Okay, I'm gonna have 41 good ones. You'll be, you'll be amazed, just as I was amazed, how the positive and negative emotions and knowing that it will end and not thinking it's forever um, really drives, unbelievably drives their actions. You didn't win. I feel upset. We, we, can, we can rerun that study two or three weeks later and the kids go, yeah, I didn't win, but now I'm focused. Like just even going from like, I'm upset to I'm focused, I'm going to recommit or I'm going to like go back to work or I'm neutral, flatline neutral versus the kid who's negative and mad. And I'm just, you know, or the, the client, you know, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do whatever the action is that isn't moving towards my goal. Um, I think that's really there. And, and I think, you know, there's another article that is we're talking, I'm thinking about is if, if you guys read um, Charles Poliquin's um, The Myth of Discipline. So if you're familiar with that, that's a really good article. Where he talks about there's no such thing as discipline. And again, I remember when I first saw that, I go, ah, that, I don't know if I buy that. But basically, you know, cliff note version is that it all comes back into, you know, doing things because you love it. You know, when somebody eats a donut, it's not that they're a bad person. It's not that they're not disciplined. It's that they love the taste of the donut more than their six pack. And there's no guilt associated. You just, it's fine. Eat your donut. It's not the end of the world. You just love donuts more than you love your six pack. And versus if you really want your body to be right, if you want to be faster and all those different things, you're not, not eating a donut. You're going after the thing you love. And I think that's a really interesting way to think about it and think back to the most successful athletes, you know, are any of them successful that didn't love it? And maybe that love fades as they retire, maybe whatever, but at the peak of their moment, you know, Michael Jordan loved playing basketball. He loved imposing his will. I think by proxy, then he did things that could be considered discipline, but I think he loved playing basketball. I think Kobe Bryant loved playing basketball. I think Tom Brady likes playing football. I think he likes the game. He likes the challenge and those things. And I, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think of many environments where you can be a successful athlete. If you're just, I'm just doing what I'm told. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I think innately you, to be successful, you have to have some sort of fire. And when he described it as love for it, you know, when you're, when you're on a teammate or you're whatever you, you want to, you don't want to let them down. You know, think about the militaries prove that right with the buddy system like you can't let, leave your buddy behind you got to do it for your buddy and when you uh, externally start having motivating factors that can really help you in your time that you're down but if you don't know how to describe it uh, I, th- I think you're just kind of you know you got a flashlight in the woods and you're hoping to get home and you got to make sure that you you know start to develop that and as a coach it's, it's pretty quick I mean this isn't like you need a PhD just even be aware of it and it'll start piecing in your mind throughout the years the things that you've seen and give you more context as well I want you touched on something with coach Shea and he gave you the opportunity to connect to the football coach and really mend this relationship and your mission that connection between the the strength coach and the sport coach is very important but we see a lot of programs out there especially at the high school level and where the strength coach is not necessarily as valued as the position you've built so what are some things that strength coaches can take some actions that they can take to help build a positive relationship with their sport coach because both have high expectations of the team but sometimes you know the finger of blame finds its way towards that weight room um when we go and uh we talk about that so get back to the very first thing i said in a unit so right now like you talked about there's the strength coach and then there's the head coach Mm -hmm. it's got to be a unit and i think that relationship that bind that 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 uh, verbal binding understanding i think people don't spend enough time on that like i asked strength coaches how many times did you meet with your head coach oh things are good 
I talked to him like a week or two ago, but we're doing our thing. I talk to coach Shea every day. I talk to coach Reno every day. You know, I talk to our, our field hockey coach all the time and you go down the line, our baseball coach all the time. So you got to have that. I think sometimes strength coaches get stubborn and it turns into the us versus them. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just, again, you get back to the fundamental, you know, description of an elite unit is that it's a shared upon value. It's a shared upon commitment. And a lot of those problems, those dysfunctions stem from alignment, not understanding what is my role? You know, coach, you want us to be fast. Yes, we need to be faster. We need to be stronger. Cool coach. Nobody's showing up to lift. We have a 60% participation rate. Yeah, I know. Fix it. Well, how would you like me to fix it? I don't know. You figure it out. Okay, coach. Well, you're the head coach. If you tell the kids to show up, that's going to help me a lot. Don't get mad at me in August if they're not strong, if they're not coming here. You know, and again, too, sometimes sport coaches may think that their team's overly committed or, you know, they're super committed and they don't know what's going on. And if you don't tell them, how would they know? But again, your relationship. And again, think of it like a business. You know, your head coach and and you have to sit there and say, okay, what is the role? What are we trying to do? And again, too, conversely, you know, I know a lot of strength coaches will say, you know, the coaches run them into the ground or this or that. And it's like, well, if I audited your program right now, could you pull the last six months of tonnages on squat? You know, could you pull your testing data from your speed plan? You know why your coach is mad at you that you're not fast is because the last three plans you wrote, you know, you didn't pre and post test. You didn't show them. And more importantly, you don't know, you know, maybe you're doing a trap bar with an isometric hold because you want to improve your 10. Maybe you want speed squats for this. Maybe you want, you know, power cleans for that. But if you're not measuring, you don't know, why would he believe you? You're hoping that in season and sometimes too, especially if you're turning around a program, wins and losses may not be a great indicator of if the program's working. You know, it takes three to four years to unscrew things up. You got to get the, like you talked about earlier, the the seniors, you got to get your freshmen to go through the whole process. And if at the end of that, it still doesn't work, you just might not be good either. You know, I think people have talked to us. They say, you know, Yale, you guys have a pretty good program. You, you know, you guys are successful. You know, we have more teams winning than ever and crushing records that have stood hundreds of years. Well, we, we don't think we're very good. And you ask any of our coaches, strength coaches, like, oh yeah, thank you. You know, we'll be polite, but we got to do better. We got to tighten up our tolerances. You know, we were 3% over, we were undershot by seven. And so you have to be on that mission. And again, when coaches, when sport coaches see you be like that, and they know that you care so much, I think that eliminates a lot of the problems. A lot of the dysfunctions on that relationship, uh, because nobody sat down for the beer, for the coffee and say, hey, let's hash this out. What are our goals? How are we going to work together? And I don't know if it's because to your point about how they're intimidated about that or they don't know how to, but I think that you got to have that to be successful, like obnoxiously spending time, making sure that when the next time we have an interaction, it isn't just, we're, we're not just talking when there's problems, you know what I mean? So I think that's kind of the, the best way to get ahead of it. And in the, in the Ivy league. So I somewhat follow the Ivy league lacrosse peripherally, but are other programs investing in their strength and conditioning like Yale's investing in you within the Ivy League? Because lacrosse doesn't necessarily have the same connection to the weight room as a sport of football. Mm-hmm. So is, are you starting to see that change within your conference? Um, I don't really know. And again, I mean, we're so focused on us. Um, I know we just try to do our job better every day. Um, again, too, we if you're in our weight room, you, you're going you're gonna to eat and breathe our culture. So um, I think, yeah, I think maybe that has a point of it. We have a great athletic director and she's all in on strength and conditioning. So that helps. Um, so having a huge administrative, um, you know, supporter is, is critical, I think, but every school can treat it its own. And I know, you know, we, uh, we often battle uh, in football and a bunch of sports, but, you know, Dartmouth, Spencer Brown up at Dartmouth, he does a great job. Um, and if you look at, you know, his program, he's got standards, he's got culture, he's, you know, measuring things and 
he makes strong kids. So, uh, you know, when you look across the rest of the Dartmouth campus, he, he does a heck of a job in that department as well. Um, but that's not taking anything away from the guys at Princeton and, you know, at Harvard as well. So I just, again, I, without commenting too much on their stuff, because I don't know the inside. Now, I, I just, I think that in general, strength and conditioning is probably one of the greatest investments that you can make as an athletic department because we have the most contact time with the kids. We have our ears to the ground. We know what's going on. And so besides reps and sets and getting stronger, you have a major driver to connect with your kids. And when you think about the four-year experience, they're going to have a lot more time not playing their game than they are actually in competition. And your strength staff should be there. And again, positively or negatively, it can be a complete gong show where kids are getting hurt and they're mad and frustrated and, you know, a point of pain, or it can be something where, you know, for us, it's like, we got to get more people in the weight room. You know, we got to make more puppy chat. We got to get, we got to, you know, cause we don't have a nutrition staff. So we got to, you know, coordinate that and you know get deliveries and make sure that the guys get what they need and that the ladies have what they need before class. And so, you know, it's a, it's an all on all day thing, but you know, again, I think you got to look in the mirror and, and if you get to the end of the week and you don't have two or three things as a director or just as a department, or even if you're owning your business, then you're not going to move forward. We always, we staff, we have staff meeting every day. We have a long staff once a week, two, three hours program audit. I'll pull up a program and say, you know, let's look at the squash plan. What were you thinking here in week three of fencing? You know, what was your goal? Well, you know, let's clarify. Okay. Did it work? Did it not? How did it compare? And if you go inside our, our, our team builder, we've got 350, 400 plans. And then they all have notes, you know, contextual notes, really good. You know, this plan is great for guys that can clean body weight. This is good for guys that, you know, are not really good, um, lifters, but it's got great progressions. This is our speed plan. This is our, if kids aren't really good at agility, here's our mobility plan. So we log and track all that stuff, but you have to invest the time to do it. So um, again, too, that's just more on us than uh, anything. But I, th I think if you're, if you're an AD or whatever, support your strength coaches. We do a lot. So be good. I think that culture is changing. Don't you? I'm hoping. I think in the mid space, not maybe not at the top where there's a lot of ego on like the sport coach side, right? And that well, comes back Texas, to the Texas football is still plaguing. I just spoke to a bunch of Texas high school athletic trainers and all of them had issues because they didn't have a strength coach. It was a football coach taking on those mm -hmm. duties and the athletic trainer wanted to just find some better ways to do things in the weight room. Yeah. Shut off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I guess Texas football is probably the exception. Or maybe not. Maybe I'm just being, I'm blinded oh. with positivity. By your state championship ring? Tom, <laughs> listen to this. Luke, high school state championship. Luke won a high school state championship, no but listen to the team motto that was instilled in them. My teammates are great. That's it. That was our shirt. Not like take no prisoners. Not, we don't take no shit from no one. We don't take no... No for an answer. <laughs> it's just, oh, damn it. my teammates are great. Yeah. And like, I remember when we saw it, you know, the year before was like grind, push and pull or something, I, you know, total, that's not it. But, um, we got the shirts and we're like, Oh, what the heck? like, do we have to wear these? We had to wear them every day of uh, summer camp every day. So you had to go yeah. home, wash your shirt every day. My teammates are great. Yeah. And, you know, I wonder too, you know, maybe the exact wording um, from the imagery, you know, that's kind of, you kind of get a giggle out of it. Cause again, it's very counter to, you know, all the ones we remember. Um, but I do think that those, that what that probably sounds like it's hounding on is it's not, like, if I were going to redo that shirt, it'd be, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I love my teammates. It's not about you. You're tired. It's not about you. 
you know, and that's again too, however you phrase it, whatever wording that you use, again, that's an external reference to, it's not about me. You know, it's not about, nobody, nobody cares. You know, if I had a t-shirt, that'd probably be what it is. That is, you know, nobody cares. Like you, you're tired, nobody cares. You know, you, you, you missed, you missed a lift. Nobody cares. Get to the next one. And that's that focusing, not that genuinely nobody cares about what you're doing because they're not interested in you. Is that I'm not interested in any negativity. And 90 to 90% of the time, it's just fighting off negative all, all the time. You know, let's get after it, right? It's awesome. You know how tired you are? It's a real feeling. Enjoy how real this feels and get after it and let's go, you know, and then be positive. And then, like I said, now I'm spoiled that, you know, my, my juniors and seniors, even some of my sophomores now, you know, men's lacrosse, if you walk into our weight room, if anybody, anybody has an ounce of negativity, they're like, dude, we go to Yale. Like we're on one of the best teams in the country. We're one of the best coaches in the country. You know, one of our best coaches, you know, of all time, you know, what he's done and what, and you know, you know this because when we have alumni come back, it's huge when they come back and they talk about them and whether they're in the PLL or whether they're whatever in business, everybody loves coach. And again, too, it stems to his, you know, wizardry of connecting with them. And again, lacrosse and most of athletics, is just a vehicle for, you know, people for life. I think so many of the lessons that we learn in adversity and communication and leadership, that's why, you know, our guys go off and have these great jobs. You know, we had a kid get a job at Goldman, uh, Goldman Sachs in the summer. And there's all these people in the internship. And obviously, if you know anything about the financial internships, they grind these kids. They don't sleep for weeks and weeks. And then, you know, you get a job hopefully at the end. And somebody said to him, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe, you know, we have to wake up so early. This is so hard. And he goes, this isn't even worse. This is nothing compared to spring ball. Nobody's tackling you. You just go to your terminal with coffee and you're fine. But again, if you think the world is, you know, made of styrofoam. The first time you go up against wood is pretty tough. And I think athletics has an obligation and, you know, a duty to be able to prep the people that are making that investment, you know, all the time. Yeah. And quick note on weight room arrangement. Do you take usually seniors or arrange it? So there's leaders with young guys or are the young guys on a separate program since they're on a different time frame in their athlete's life cycle of development? So do you mix it based on leadership or you mix it based off where they are as an athlete individual? Yeah. So the answer is both. So especially during GPP times. So like right now, this time of year, like it's going from station to station, it's foam rolling, it's doing things right. And so we go through and we have rack assignments. So we have 15 squat racks. We'll go through three people, the rack, 45 people in the room. What can we do? What side of the room? And so that's what in our daily staff meeting, we'll go through and we'll target that. That being said, when we get into the point of the year where we start to specialize or when we get in season and they're on their individualized plans, um, it really kind of goes regionally. So I might put, you know, text, you got racks one through three and you make sure that they're squared away. And that's, again, the role of the junior. That's the role of the senior. You know, the seniors are looking at the entire room, but the juniors, you got these two racks. If anything happens, you know, because typically somebody messes up, what do they do? They're the ones that yell at. If a freshman messes up for us and they're in your zone, like that's on you. Like, why did you let him get like that? They don't know any better. You got to teach him the way that was your failure in leadership. It's not their fault. And so that's where our guys, are, okay, okay, okay. So they're going around checking, hey, your, your team builder said you guys supposed to have a 350. You know, you did, you know, 275. What was with that? Did you check with coach? Did you auto regulate down? Did we bring you back up? Um, you know, all, all those things like that, that's part of the teaching process. Um, and hopefully from December to, you know, August, we instill a really good culture so that by the time season comes, we can, we can get after it, but we're, we're planning, we grade every workout. So I don't know if you guys, if I talked to you about that, but every workout you get graded four, three, two, one, zero. 
And so you and that's know, on the individual or just the, the team? Individual. So, and then you get graded. And we know if you don't get 160 points in an off season, your chances of being successful in the fall isn't going to be very good. And if, you know, a zero is you didn't show up, you didn't do what you're supposed to do, or you got kicked out or whatever the, the you were not there. A one is you showed up and you consumed oxygen. Right? <laughs> you showed up and consumed oxygen. A two is, you know, you did well and, you know, you, you hit your numbers that you did. A three, you hit a PR. Um, so you overshot. So if we have like an open set or something like that, you got it. And then you can get a four if you made somebody else better. So you went, you got after it, your junior, you led your racks. Wow. So-and-so crushed it. You know, I, I saw this kid smile today. That kid hasn't smiled in a week, but you know, you went over, that was awesome leadership pointing that out at him. You get a four. And so they're constantly, we run that throughout the entire off season. Um, we rank them. And so we go and then we can do it. Hey, why, why is your group? Why is your rack always getting a one? Why is your rack, you know, for the month averaged a 1.2? Like what's mm -hmm. going on? Well, you know, freshman, sophomore wasn't squared away. No, no, that's on you. Seniors, that's on you. Like, and, and if we need to assign the rack at that point to, to your question earlier, if we see that there's someone who needs help, we'll, we'll identify that through the numbers and then assign a senior with a junior to say, hey, figure it out. And again, every time you're investing in the juniors and the lieutenants, you're, you're making it better for next year. So like right now, our entire senior class for football and lacrosse, I mean, it lights out. I mean, they could all be captains. They were all valedictorians. They're all committed. And, but they just know, and it's like, no, that's not how we do things. You know, you don't ever see our guys yell at people because, oh, you didn't, you didn't get that bench. You didn't get that clean. It's that, you know, you didn't put away your rack, right? All things that you do uh, that are totally doable. It's just, you might have a moment of weakness and our culture has to be the thing that drives you to do that mm -hmm. because you got to be perfect all the time. Legit. You got anything? Yeah, you mentioned you've mentioned a few times business, and then in your your introduction where you're sharing your development and history as a coach, you referenced owning your own business. Now, as a a mentor and leader of the coaches underneath your staff and the interns, do you challenge them to go out and venture into starting their own business or putting a challenge like that where your livelihood is in your hands to them? Um, we don't, I don't, I wouldn't say that we challenge them to go start a business, but I do, we do a lot of interdisciplinary stuff. So go, go talk to the guy at the med school who specializes in heart surgery, you know, go deal with the people at the Yale school of management that did, I didn't even know this was a thing, uh, workplace psychology research world expert. You know, I was at the coffee shop the other day and, you know, I ordered a coffee and I bumped into a guy and I said, Oh, hi. You know, so I had the Yale thing. I said, what do you do? He's like, Oh, I invented the MRI. <laughs> oh. Because uh, I'm a strength coach. I help people get strong. And so why, why did you come up with the MRI? And just talking to them, because that's, I think, sometimes in academia, especially strength and conditioning, you get so stuck in the tower and stuck in the weight room. You need to go talk to the guy who owns his own business. You need to go, you know, talk to a doctor, go talk to the athletic trainers. You know, why do you think that? And again, too, you know, those are, you know, educational moments. And so we really push a lot of that. And especially too, for me, I'm like, within 10 minutes, there's a world expert in everything by walking. If you're not taking advantage of that as a staff member, then you're not trying to be elite because we do that at least once a week where we go and we reach out and try to do that. So that's that. But, you know, we have had some people that wanted to go do their own business, you know, and because we get we get all walks of life in the internship of nutritionists, uh, physical therapists, you know, people want to be PAs. You know, we had we had one um, one female. She wanted to be a PA. I said, Why do you want to be a strength coach at Yale? Why do you want to come do the internship? And she's like, well. I want to do orthopedic stuff. And I think that if I'm going to be around surgeries and athletes all the time, it'd probably be a good idea for me to know 
the whole perspective of the other side because normal for an, a regular person is completely different than the normal for an athlete. So mm -hmm. if we do a surgery and a rehab and someone says, you know, this DB jumps 20 inches, she's like, they're not ready to go back. They're, they're, they're not going to be successful. And even though they might quote unquote be fine, they won't be fine. I was like, wow, that's really astute. And so, yeah. I mean, she crushed it and we pull like right now we have a kid from USC. We got, we've had kids from other countries. We've had, you know, hundred, I think 150, 160 interns from all over the world over the last three years. And again, it's just, it makes, it's great for our students. It's great for our staff and all of our staff members went through the process. So that's really unique too, is that, you know, for our interns to say, Hey, we're not just doing this just to be mean, you know, we want you to be the best you can be. And it's just, sometimes it's hard again, you know, growing, growing pains, not funds. And, you know, they respect that. And we've had really, really good success in job placement. So that's where, um, you know, too, I think you can just kind of see it. And again, everybody here wants to help. That's it. And just trying to get better every day and push each other. That's awesome. That's, I guess, one of the reasons we do the podcast and explore beyond the strength and conditioning realm and, and go to authors and professors. We actually had a Yale professor, Lori Santos, on, and that was an interesting experience. I don't know if she knew what she was in for. <laughs> you didn't tell her? You didn't give her a heads up? I did my best, but it's yeah. difficult to describe. And, like, there's a big reveal. Like, we were on a rampage. Was is She was... um She... Animal uh, behavior, right? Yeah, monkey currency. Yeah, and it just got off the rails, and she went. She just dove in with us. It was great. I think it was like she's at the end. I think she's like, I've never been interviewed like that in my life. Like this is the craziest thing I've ever been on. So, <laughs> and just like how you guys were like, that's crazy. Because before you talked to her, did you even know that was a thing? No, no, not at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the number of times, so what we say here is that when you find out like the guy who invented this or the female who is the world this or whatever, you're like, ah, shit, it's just so Yale. Like mm -hmm. that's the only way you can describe it. Like, of course, the lady at the biomedical engineering that like, so you know, like how you measure glucose and, and lactate on the little strips. We have some world experts. She does it. Of course, she's a golden glove boxer, right? Of course. Yeah. Like, why not? You know, and, and so, you know, we have rocket people and all these other types of people. And so it's great. And I think, too, that that's just I think you got to be really careful that you don't get caught in the hamster wheel of life where you're just doing the same thing you did. Same program, same everything. Like You got to grow and evolve or die. Like There's really usually not a stagnation. Um, and you got to put and be humble about it. You know, people all the time get so upset, you know, oh, my God, I can't. This is the way I do it. And this is the only way. This is the right way. It's, you know, the, the traveling salesman problem. And I, I've talked to people about this, too, is the traveling salesman. You got five cities to go to just off five cities. There's endless combinations. And we know in weight, in weight training, strength and conditioning, there's 10, something like 10 to the 65th power of rep sets, intensity combination. Like if you honestly think that you got the very best way every time, you're just kidding yourself. Like there, there's multiple routes to get to the cities and it's a race to who can get there first. And, you know, if you constantly, you know, go one way, it's fine until the road's blocked, you know? And I think we have a little bit of that, a little bit of the disciple, you know, Oh, I do what he did. You oh know? yeah. And yeah. It's just, it's just a rehash. And it's like, well, that's not, that doesn't typically work well in other, you know, industries you need to find out. Okay. And, and for us too, like where, where, what cities do you have to go to, but it also might change, you know, kid might leave the team and, you know, you gotta get these 10 people on board. And you have to change midway through and, and those sudden changes and wearing multiple hats. And, you know, again, Olympic lifting, not Olympic lifting. This, I, I hate that. I check out. As soon as people go like, what do you think the best exercises or whatever? It's a stop. Just mm -hmm. stop. Like, High bar well, or low I'm bar? I'm not going to ask my next, next question. High bar or low bar? Yeah. Power snatch or full snatch? 
What else? Single leg, bilateral. Yeah. Well, what's better, single leg or bilateral? Yep. Well, I think we all know the answer to that. Yeah. Contrast ne training. Velocity-based training. Just rest. Just rest. Kick your feet up. If you haven't seen Breaking Bad, turn it on. You know. or, <laughs> critique the freshman. <laughs> skip your reps. And you still get a four because you made them better. That's the <laughs> trick. Yes. Play the game. No, and I just think the other thing, too, is right now we have this whole genre of just, like, sports science where everybody – yeah, HRV and pulse and heart rate, and they uh, they they make us so frail. Like it, it's yeah. unbelievable. So I, I want to get into that in your intro, and I wrote this note. You said uh, everything that's going on in the industry. So I, I'm just curious of what exactly you feel is is everything that's going on. What is this path? I I, I took some notes on my view to to share as well, but I wanted to get yours before. Kind of diving into this side of the the strength and conditioning industry from from your perspective. Well, I think, and again, too, uh, there's a paper with the evolutionary perspective of resistance training that goes back to like 1850, and it walks the whole way through the history of everything. It's a great read, mandatory reading for interns because if you don't know the history, you're just going to repeat it. Um, I think right now with social media, anybody can have access. Because think about it. When I said is like, I used to get all my information from magazines, so there's a controlled voice. You know, controlled source and then when t nation came on and you'd read that and then you know now with instagram there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of stuff going on and i think sometimes we lose the basic principles of physiology or the basic principles like when anybody said like you know when you uh when you deadlift it doesn't work your lats it doesn't work your back and it's like okay like just, just right off the bat you just told me that you don't lift and huh. someone's gonna hear that and someone's gonna believe it but I'm sorry, every guy that I know that can deadlift, you know, 900 pounds has a big back. Like just, uh, just call me crazy. And I think sometimes it's, you know, the white papers or the medical community, the science community, and everybody's spewing this stuff everywhere. And I think if you're a young coach, it's really hard. And so you have to kind of get back to your roots because we go back to, you know, the 90s, you know, you had bodybuilding. And then in the 2000s, you had the emergence of CrossFit and CrossFit was, you know, I'm going to train without the purpose of just trying not to get fat. Right. It was an alternative to sport because you finally had a team or a culture and a tribe to kind of go after. And then, you know, that turned into its own competition. A training style became a competition. And so that's evolved. And then, you know, just now with this weird land of strength therapists, rehab, you know, oh, you have an asymmetrical imbalance, blah, blah, blah. You got to squat and all these things like, you know, the number of kids that I've had that can't physically squat probably single digits in my entire career. But yet I know some coaches where it's like every kid's got this dysfunction and pathology. And it's like, we're just not that soft. We're not that frail. Like you need to get under the bar. You need to move. You need to push. You need to pull. You need to be smart. And again, to in mass, you need to just make sure that your programs are adjusted for that. Um, but I think that more than ever, especially with the way that the evolution that we've seen in sports, the value of the strength coach is going to skyrocket. I think if you have a really great strength coach, if you have a really good, and not just strength coach, call if you're a private sector guy and you can put on 10 pounds of muscle, you know, we had an athlete put on 16 pounds of muscle in the off season. And that's not me with calibers. That's not me with photos. That's at the Yale med school. We put them in the DEXA scanner and we go through, I think you have value. You know, your team puts on 200, 300 pounds of muscle. If you decrease body fat, if your vertical jump, you know, goes up, your Watts goes up to that. I think there's a value to that now because at the top five schools, top 10, top 20 schools, you're dealing with two standard deviations out from the normal human. Well, if you're that guy who can take a very twitchy, six, six big frame person, but put them under the bar and develop them. I think there's real value in that now, especially with technology. 
I mean, don't forget, we didn't have YouTube 20 years ago. You know, we didn't have, it was in its infancy. And so now your ability to document and track, I think coaches are waking up to what a good strength coach is or what a good trainer is and what's not. Like all my guys are hurt all the time. My kids are falling apart. Like they see that and they realize that there's people doing a really, really good job out there and there's people that are not. Let's go down a wormhole, shall we? We shall. Let's go. Do you all know what was the inflection point for the creation of YouTube pre-Google? Uh, funny, sharing funny videos. I don't know. I no so the idea spurred after I don't know which Super Bowl, but the Janet Jackson nip slip. Oh, that really? was Houston. It was in 2004. 2004. And there's a group of guys who were like, no, I missed it. Right. And like it had been stripped from the web because remember, pun, like it was a pun, lot, in, pun intended. Yeah. A lot a lot smaller like there there wasn't ways to really share video so you could just look for a file name per se across the internet and then just wipe it right you go and cease and desist from nbc or whoever you know uh janet jackson the jackson foundation and these dudes are like this bs dude i need to see this nip you know what we should do <laughs> is it on there now I, I don't know you know what we should do we should create a platform where you can share videos and we'll call it youtube and youtube was born thank you janet jackson it was it. They come up with a name right off the bat like that. Uh, listen, I want to know what's on the chopping floor. I'm not sure how accurate that story is, but it's pretty darn close to, I think, reality. And I don't, I don't know where I heard it. I don't even have to finish <laughs> typing this in. I typed in Janet Jackson at the first one Super Bowl. See? Sounds like a good story, even if it's not true. Yeah, I can. I, uh, uh, listeners, it's there. It's, it's legit. <laughs> the nip slips on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Is it censored? Uh, it's there's one that's a ten hour loop. God bless the internet. God bless YouTube, <laughs> man. If listen, la ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen the ten hour loop of Janet Jackson's nip slip, or the ten hour loop of Shrexamophone, oh God. you guys are missing out. What are you doing with ten out your ten hour freedom blocks? Like everybody has ten hours a day to turn something on and stare at a screen on loop. I disagree. No. Well, I know it's going to be on Tom's weight room for 10 hours tomorrow at work. Oh, wait, false. you know what? Somebody sent, that me is false. <laughs> somebody sent me an email when we were, I forget what we were talking about on the last po crew podcast text, but I asked Google, right? And it set off their Google home. So oh, that happens. Uh, so when Google sponsors a podcast that I'm mm -hmm. listening to, I'm listening to in my kitchen, it sends off my Google home and that's their, their trick. Okay. Google play 10 hours of Shrek's on my phone on YouTube. On the big screen. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> okay, back on track. Reeling us back. We're so back. The, We're it, back. An observation, and maybe you've seen this, but ESPN has increased their effort to highlight strength coaches come football season. I know it's Big Five, and it's a little bit different experience than the majority, but where you said the grow and evolve that is the goal of the the coaches and almost our responsibility within this industry is to help each other grow and evolve or that's connecting to sport coaches connecting to our athletes or just taking people where they can't take themselves what we're seeing is more hype dudes that have cut off sleeves dudes that are just all about uh tight spandex in the show yeah and that is the perceived right it's on espn it's it's in our faces 
what my fear is, is a sport coach or a division three football that finally gets the grant to, or the, the funding from their, their donors to get a, a, a strength coach. And then they look for the, the caricature versus the character. So Absolutely. I don't know if you've seen that trend, but it's, it's pretty prevalent just in, in the circles I'm running through. Yeah. I think, I think it's a temptation, right? Cause again, you know, when you see all the crazy, you know, power five stuff, th- there's a lot of recruiting behind there. There's a lot of other stuff, you know, go, that goes into that. And what they really want is they want that coach cause that coach gets those results, but may not know. And I think, you know, to your guys credit, what you're doing and what needs to continue to happen. I don't know if the average sport coach knows that like the vertical jump of a college male should go up four to six inches. I don't know if the average sport coach knows that in college, you know, your 10 yard dash time should easily go down 0.15 to 0.1. I don't know if the average, you know, coach knows that, you know, measuring a 40 with a stopwatch is like, you might as well use a sundial because at least it's consistent. (laughs) Just arbitrarily clicking the four, four every time. Like, and I do that all the time. I'll go to an event and be like, yeah, he had a four, four. And like, he's a lineman. I was like, yeah, I'm just as accurate as your four, seven. Like let's get into standard deviations and, you know, accuracy and validity. Um, but I think the coaches need to know because to them, it's just a black box where they go smash weights. But, you know, for our coaches, they know, like, you need to gain muscle, like an offensive lineman needs to get to a certain amount of muscle. You know, you, you've only gained two pounds of muscle your entire career, yet we have some of our female athletes might have gained 12 pounds of muscle, lost five pounds of fat. And that's a completely different human. That's a 20 pound metabolic shift in a male and a female and anybody. That's phenomenal. But if you're a coach and you don't know, it's just kind of like, let's go lift weights. And I think that's why we always talk about sports performance and player development, like just like progressive training well development. But I think for guys like you to, to be able to bring on coaches that are doing it right and just talk about it. You know, I ask all the time, how, what are your maxes at? You know, how many, how many guys do you have that can't squat double body weight? Okay. Well, are your freshmen stronger than your seniors? Okay. And then, you know, suddenly, you know, maybe, maybe on the outside, they're wearing cutoffs and the snap, they've got great programming and they're dialed in, or maybe they're not, you know, or we see a lot of the guys, oh, we have to do this. And we have to, before we lift any weight, we need a 30 minute warm up with all the, the activation and, you know, this, that, and perturbations and all, all this kind of stuff. Like, you're not lifting weight. Like you're never going to get stronger. And, and you don't have, you know, you got to be very judicious with your time. And yes, you have to do regressions and progressions, but at the end of the day, kid walks in as a freshman, you have one year to develop them. You've got interference from sport. You got interference from life. You got interference from school. Are you 20% better? Are you 7% better? Whatever it is. And again, anybody who's like, yeah, no, we nailed it. Everybody got better. Like that never happens. You might have a freshman that is just completely drowning and you're just trying to get them to show up to the weight room and love being with the team. And like, that's the goal of the freshman year. But then sophomore year, they have this huge secondary boom and their maxes go up. You know, the number of times, like, so if I, if I asked you guys right now, so we're, we do a DEXA scan of a freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, which group is going to demonstrate the greatest gains in muscle? Freshman. Uh, I'm going to go sophomore. Okay. Oh, yeah, because they get a year to figure it out. And yeah. yeah. Typically, typically, and again, too, there's, it's not, not just the end of sure. one, but we, we've done thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of scans. It's typically your juniors going into their senior year that they go last shot. Oh oh my God. Yeah. I got to get my act together. And like the number of times kids have been like, Oh my God, what you said worked like the nutrition stuff really makes a big difference. And I'm like, yeah, the nutrition thing's a big deal. The sleep thing is a big deal. And you know, you have to repair and recover. And so whatever you can do to message that earlier, but if I didn't have those numbers, my coaches wouldn't know. 
my players wouldn't know. And again, I think anything, and this, you know, particularly to the females as well, anything you can do to get away from just the scale is a great thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So whether you do power output, whether you do force plates, whether you do, uh, you know, hey, you know, pick pick an outfit, pick whatever, whatever you can do to get away from the taboo stuff of the scale. It's just you just see these females become so hard, and the hardest athletes, you know, some of the hardest athletes I've ever seen have been females that are just they're unbreakable. Like I told you earlier, you know, you watch out if you know the field hockey team's coming in, you know, after your lift, you better be done when you're supposed to be done. And like, what does that set them up for life? You, they stand differently. They they respond differently to life. And again, that's going to be something that lasts much longer than just their competitive season. And so, um, you know, using those touch points, but I think the coaches benefit from it because they see it. They ask other coaches, you know, Hey, I'm working with my strength coach and everybody keeps getting hurt. You know, our verticals keep going down, you know, okay, well then, you know, I think that's the opportunity. So I think that might be the way that we combat the, you know, the kind of buffoonery that, you know, sometimes can be posted all over the place. Yeah, man, make no, I make no, like going back to the chicks, they're gnarly, dude. Just yeah. had first baby five months ago. My wife, who will never listen to this show, uh, <laughs> is the biggest wimp you have ever met. Well, probably not the biggest. She's a huge wimp in my eyes, right? Like just a sissy. She's just a sissy, but it's okay. She's a girl. But dude, watching a woman give birth to a child, you realize how gnarly those chicks can be. You know what I mean? And there's certainly, I've met and uh, I love my wife. She's really a badass bitch, but um, <laughs> she, but you, I've met female athletes along the way who are just like, just absolute savages. I've, and you, you rarely meet dudes who are willing to put in and sacrifice as much as some of those chicks are. And you know, it's, it's just a shame that at the youth levels, and I think we were just talking about this text, weren't we? About how like, man, you know, who needs us the most? us being, let's say, um, the willing and capable coaches with uh, a high level of emotional intelligence and understanding of the big picture, high school female sport athletes. Like, yeah. get, let's get all the progress that you're making at the collegiate level, Tom. Like, those girls have, I believe, have the emotional capacity in high school to start making those leaps earlier on than the dudes, right? Like... Absolutely. And, and Jim McFarland does a great job. He's in, um, he's in uh, New Jersey. So he, uh, he's at Hillsborough High School. So they have a program where they bring in like eighth graders and then they mentor them. So he did a lot of the research uh, with Avery Fagenbaum. They're lifting dowels. They're getting in with the med balls. The seniors are motivating the younger kids. And, and I mean, you walk, I mean, they, they had a girl squat 300 pounds the other day. Ooh. And it's like, that's awesome. Yeah, like, dude. That's great. And just the vibe. And that's the only way I can describe it. And again, if you're listening to this, you probably know what we're talking about, but if you, if you don't, it's just, there's just a frenetic energy. And I think guys like the weight room, they'll, they'll, they'll do it just because it's a guy thing and they'll show up But the ladies. It's, you know, it's either all in or not. And Mm -hmm. when you can pull it out and create that environment, like another team that, you know, would surprise you is like our women's golf team, you know, women's golf, uh, they get after it. You know, they're, they're, cr- they're crushing deadlifts. They're getting after it. And, you know, hey, we, we live twice a week. We want to come three times a week. We want to come in. You know, can we do this? And, again, they're smart. So should I do high-velocity stuff because I got a tournament this weekend? What should I do for my nutrition? And, like, locked and loaded, you know, and going in with confidence and storming the racks. And they'll lift, you know, and at the same time with the teams. And it's just – but you got to build that, right? Like, you can't, you can't expect male or female just to know how to be an animal like right off the bat and let them know it's okay. It's cool. And then, and now they all get the same smile. One, yeah, yeah, like, 
just like, oh, this is loud music and getting after it. This is awesome. I can't believe that's the iron bug, right? And if you can get that instilled, the other, the biology and physics is easy. Like we, we know how to do that. It's just, it's getting them to be just emotionally connected and locked in. And, you know, we joke too, like, hey, your lifts from four to six, go home. I just, a little bit more, a little. And, and I think too, you have to keep in mind on that is the devil of more. We always talk about the devil oh, is yeah. real. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a little bit more, a little bit more. Thibodeau talked about, you know, after your big PR, you know, your, your highest injury rate is right after a PR, you know, as you're pushing the, the structure to a new level. And so how do you modulate that? So I, I give a lot of, we don't, we don't stretch. Stretching's not fun. We'll do mobility, right? You know, we won't, you know, talk about nutrition. We'll talk about like meal prep and just same thing. We're just changing the words and suddenly now they're excited about it. And uh, it's awesome. And it never ends, right? You know, you see, you see the same story. You see the same 18 year old kid, you know, you see the, the, the female that, you know, wasn't confident. You see the, the guy that got picked on, you see whatever. And if we can open that you know door and extend that hand, people get hooked. I mean, and it's just, it's awesome. It's such a, it's a great feel. It's, it's not even like a job, you know, you get to go in and be in a weight room and smash weight. I, I would, I would lose my mind if I had to go in and sit in a cubicle, you know, and that's just not, not for me. Mm-hmm. So. Nice man. I'm good. You good? Oh yeah, Tom. I, I wonder thanks, for man. you guys. Though, I, can I ask you just a quick question? I don't know if it's off. Bring it. Phone, but, uh, what yeah. are some of the biggest reflections? You know, we just we're in January here, and we just uh, we just did a whole year basically. But what was some of the biggest insights that kind of changed you guys as coaches, or just even as uh, professionals? That you're kind of aha moments. I always like to to hear that. Um couple isms that you know i've been fortunate enough john who's not here man i've worked with him for about 10 years now nine years 10 years and he's just if, if i don't know if you've heard him talk or have had a chance to speak with him but he you know between uh long-winded stories about nothing he does drop a gem here or there right that's a burn is that a that's an acceptable burn yeah burn ban is off yeah but um you know everything works nothing works forever and that's you know a lot of this comes from either louis or some guys that inspire him um, you know, he is, he's got this legendary move the dirt, um, parable. Would it be a parable text? Uh, yes, it would have been one that, liner. uh, you know, some days you, you're dish, you're dealt a spoon. Some days you're dealt a, sh- a shovel, but every day you move the dirt, right? Like as a kind of metaphor for training. And then I think specifically that maps out to life, but, um, man, I guess n- every, that the, everything works, but nothing works forever. Is, it, is probably the tricky one because in the context of this stuff, right? It, it, once you can realize that, we go back to like the high bar, low bar talk. And it's like, yeah. I, I don't care, right? Like not yet. If we're having this talk, we're not there yet. You know what I mean? Right. And then when you're there, we won't even have to have the talk. So let's not have the talk. And then, uh, you know, going to um, the framework of failure in the weight room as well, Tom, you know, it, it, I don't know if it's an understanding of the the physiology or whatever, but like, we have a, when we're running a linear progression with our novices, you know, we hit a point intentionally of failure and it's a shame it's called failure. And I've often talked with techs on like, how do we, how do we break out of that language? Because really it's a coming of age, right? You're, you're hitting a point where you're discovering for the first time ever a limit, a limit, a rep max, right? And you've been gifted this information. Now you have, you have insight to the load the intensity and that you need to train in a speci- to get a specific adaptation. Like you've just unwrapped the most meaningful Christmas present of your life. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of like, Oh, I missed that rep shucks, you know? 
So having that insight and understanding overload and some of the physiology, I think has also changed just the way I look at training specifically and probably would change the language of coaching. And, uh, you know, we work predominantly mostly like coach to coach, right? So our access to like coach to athlete type of talk and language is, is limited. Well, me specifically, McQuilkin has a bit more than I do, but yeah, taking on some middle school lacrosse players this spring. So let's go. Oh yeah. There uh, I was, your teammates are great, but now Tom, you got me rethinking that one. So I'll, uh, I'll check in once I settle on a, a team phrase for our seventh, eighth graders. You, are you, are you going to consult me on this? I have a professional now contact here. You're, he's deal like, hello, he's dealing with Yale students. You're dealing with if moron it's good middle schoolers. For Yale, it's good enough for <laughs> Dripping Springs Middle School. Misappropriation of talent and context. I disagree. Um, well, in six years, when I have the opportunity to develop these young men into badasses, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send them to Tom to get a, a recruiting tape just on the desk mm-hmm. at Yale, and we'll see what happens. D1 from Dripping? Oh, man. I, I just got goosebumps. But the uh, reflections, I actually was thinking about this last night. So about f- five or six years ago, I wrote an article called Conversations and highlighted four epic conversations that changed the trajectory of my career as a strength coach. So timely asking this question, I was thinking of what conversations changed my trajectory after that point and quick Lee from Dave Spitz going out and visiting him and experiencing how he applies not only his Olympic lifting that we see outside of social, he also works with football players. So it was kind of cool. And I was throwing all these sprint different things that I picked up and learned. And he gave me a timeout. And then almost like just a a moment that I, I had to write this down, but he said, all right, well, they are training track athletes or they are training this person who are you going to apply this information to? And it's our model is unlocking athletic potential. So we aim to develop a blueprint for athleticism, whether we're training volleyball, lacrosse, football, anything, just movement. So then I I said athleticism. So then he's like, okay, well, that is your filter for sifting through all of the information out there because there's a lot of experts, right? There's a lot of people from generations and ages ago that you can apply that information. But What's the context? How are we going to apply it? So he introduced the concept of filter athleticism. Uh, then in chronological order, Rafael Ruiz, who's certainly my mentor and a, a good friend, he gave a presentation at our December Power Athlete Symposium. And I've known him for six years, but finally got to see he presented his full system for, for training and developing athletes, which certainly has evolved now that he has children so I almost got to see that uh, that loop close yet start again, almost like a circle approach. Instead of seeing this life cycle of an athlete go up to a peak and then go down, as he works with a lot of professional boxers and fighters, so you see them peak and then fall fast. Now he has a, a, a perspective, an approach, that it's important for those older athletes and adults as us as we evolve, how important it is that we continue to fight to train and how we stand and react, right? Emotional intelligence for sure, because our kids will start to pick up how we react to uh, different things, failure or watching sports or any of that, driving. So the importance of still training and working hard and how big an impact that that has in our our life beyond our, our own personal health. 
And then the last piece, I was at the NSCA Coaches Conference last week, and Tom, I've been a part of a charity in which I volunteer my body for fundraising. Two years ago, it was a waxing, so I, I'm a hairy motherfucker. I waxed my entire chest and belly if I raised $20,000. I did it. People wanted to see me sh- suffer, so we did that. And then this year, Luke and I were tased. So we crossed $20,000, and in a live event at our December symposium, Luke and I were tased. So we filmed it. I'm sure that'll get dropped soon. But uh, Brian Mann, uh, who is a professor at University of Miami, he came up to me at the coaches conference and he has observed and followed what we do and in a notable cause. And he's like, man, I've been meaning to talk to you about this. <laughs> okay. And he's maybe a couple, a uh, couple spritzers deep. Ah, oh, spritzer too. Okay. But, uh, basically his, his whole research and development is why we love the velocity stuff and he presents on it. It's also stress. And so he explained just the, the impact and the stress that these moments have and how deep and ingrained that they get into your just the your psyche and your nervous system as as an adult and you grow older and it becomes more and more impactful so he painted a scientific picture for the stress that i volunteered for and went through successfully so he gave me a a little nod a tip of the cap but at the same time was like man we got to work through this so all stress matters Mm -hmm. So everything matters. Right. But if it all matters equally, then nothing matters at all. I disagree. That's just how it works. That's logic. Uh, you know, and Tom, now that I've had a little bit of time to think, you know, you, one thing that you spoke on here today about being able to effectively communicate how you're feeling, describe it in a word, a, a phrase, a sentence, right? Um, I spent a lot of work, a lot of time working on that that attribute, that skill set, but mostly on the things that kind of, that are the most important to me, right? So what truly makes me get out of bed every day? Like what, what, when can I lay my head down? What are the days, what happened in the days where I lay my head down and like smashed it today, right? Understand those core values and arrange, understand how you can arrange your days, your weeks, your months, and your years just like you would arrange movement selection, sets, reps, volumes, intensities in a strength and conditioning program so that you can come in every single day and just shred it. Because if you're doing, what's the, what's the squ- small off? Isn't that squat every, like the squat, crazy squat yeah. cycle? Yep. Like if you're putting yourself through the proverbial small off and like you think you like squatting until you're eight weeks <laughs> into it and you're like, this is miserable. Like that. Like our tendons are shot. Yeah. But imagine like the, the proverbial structure that gets you through day in and day out and what that's going to do to your personal life, to any little micro per- versions of you that you may have just recently had. So, and it's crazy once you start to think about that, how hard it is. And then when yeah. you realize it, it's absolutely embarrassing how little you're actually doing for yourself and the things that you honor and the things that you value, right? Or how you've been doing things, not even realizing that if you were just aware that you honored, you know, you valued this teamwork or you valued, um, you know, quality time. And you're like, man, I've been doing it, but I'm totally unaware that I've been honoring this value, right? Right. And it's not bad. It's just suboptimal and sure. just the awareness. And that's the whole, the thought of mindfulness. Because again, you know, I strength coach mindfulness it can get pretty fluffy pretty quick but then you start to think and you're like wow i 
I, I really like when, you know, we have that Friday squat session, everybody goes and gets coffee. Mm-hmm. So I like coffee. I like my friends. I like the squat. That's what it stands for. And that gives me joy. And again, you know, I'm more excited to get after that with my friends than if it just, Hey, I'll go get a coffee and squat by myself. Yeah. And, but on that note too, Tom is like, okay, so what is it? Like, obviously coffee's great. Squatting's fun. (laughs) But what is, is there something even underlying more that you can start to action more that does contribute to something that you don't like? Like you said, you go crazy in a cubicle, right? Like what if there is an underlying value you could, you could pin and then re replicate in this environment that used to just be a succubus. But now you're like, oh, I understand. I understand what the underlying fabric is of the squat and coffee day. And I yeah. can replicate that outside of that. And it just, it becomes much more rewarding, right? And it's really chewy and you have to spend time on it. And people come back to me and they say, you know, oh, that's a lot of effort. That's a lot of thought. And I said, well, you know, we think about training is pretty complicated, right? Like there's a lot of variables. Okay. Your mind is a universe. Your mind interacts with your friends. And so if you think, you know, it takes you years to be a great athlete, like why would you think that something as deep as the underlying and you can get into the neurochemicals, you can get into the receptors, you can get into stress, you can get it a million different ways, but you have to spend time on it. Just you, have to, you don't jump under the bar and squat a thousand pounds. You have to make a commitment to that. And again, the frontier of the mind and, and, and leadership, not only for yourself, but just for like the people that you're around and, and the life that you live. I think, you know, if you had to, if you had to sit down and prioritize in you know, 2020, what, you know, is worth your time. I don't know anybody that said I worked on mindfulness and thinking about what my emotional drivers are, came back and said, that was a colossal waste. Like yeah. you, you get something out of it. And usually, you know, just like our 80, 20 curve, I think if you haven't ever done it, I think very quickly within the first couple of weeks, you'd be like, oh, wow. Like, why didn't I do this sooner? Yeah, totally. And in it, what I've found is it didn't really change the outcome. It just changed the understanding of why I do the shit I do. Right. Like, and, uh, in, in the quirks and the things that like, and also understanding your strengths, right. And then how you can better apply and develop that shit. So, yeah, it's great. Awesome. Well, Tom, it's been a pleasure. It's been about two hours, I believe. And just flew right by, flew right by, flew right by. But, uh, thanks pal. If, Hey, if we got listeners that want to just start creeping on you, do you do the social media thing? Uh, I'm not a huge, I'm not a huge social media, but it is, uh, I have Instagram, so that's uh, bulldog strength. So, and uh, limited content, I'll probably try to do better at that. But again, I, I open up the door to, you know, email, just, you know, okay. shoot email. it's on the website. And, you know, again, the big thing, whatever I can do, I, I don't, I don't know anything, but you know, if there's somebody out there that needs help or reference or whatever, I mean, just again, I wouldn't be where I was if guys didn't reach out and point in the right direction or resources, sure. anything I can do if you're the motivated coach and you know, if I don't know, put you in touch with somebody who does or whatever. But I think the more we can do to kind of collaborate, to work together for people that are trying to be elite, I think it'll take care of itself. So happy to do that uh, to whoever, you know, it is. And again, if you're a young kid, you know, shout out and a plug to our you know, recruiting for the summer for internships. Um, you know, if anybody wants to come in and just even to site visit. I mean, the number of times we just go to site visit. You mentioned you went and visited a coach. You know, I don't know how many hours you spent with him, but, you know, that seems like it was a pretty good investment when you went and visited you know, that weight room. And so it could be an hour, it could be a day. Um, but we're very, very open to that to come and check out the Yale campus or right off the, the Amtrak and right off the highway. So anybody that come by, we'd love to have you too. Cause again, uh, you know, the bigger that we can grow that community of just elite coaches, everybody wins. So. So you heard it there, power athlete nation, pick up the phone, then open your email app and send an email to Thomas <laughs> Newman at Yale.edu or Thomas.Newman at Yale.edu. Right. 
Yep. Absolutely. And uh, get out to Yale. Go coach a bunch of people who are way smarter than you will ever be because you're just a dumb strength coach like the rest of us. That's a joke, people. Well, maybe for some of us. I'm pointing at Tex. Oh, no, thank you. Thank you, Power Athlete Nation. Thank you, Tom. Uh, and that's another episode of the Premier Podcast in Strength and Conditioning. Hey, hey, hey. Bye. Bye. Drop on, drop on, drop on, drop on. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You heard it, guys. Tom wants you guys to stop by for a workout at the Yale University Athletic Department. So if you're just swinging through Connecticut and you're trying to hit some buys and tries, just kidding. He wants serious folks only. So come by the weight room, check out the culture and the environment these athletes are fortunate enough to be a part of. And if you're interested in that uh, internship that he discussed, make sure you email him at thomas.newman at yale.edu. Until next time. Bye!